What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. We break down this past weekend at the Arnold Sports Festival in Columbus, Ohio, where some big-time USAPL meets took place from the Grand Prix to the Pro Raw to the A7 Challenge, even to the Masters. We talk a little bit about that as well and how we really like seeing the Masters being represented at the Arnold Sports Festival. This was a fantastic weekend in powerlifting. Head-to-head battles galore, compelling storylines, breakout performances, which we love to see, rising stars in the sport, and an early scouting report on what we're going to see at Nationals, which will take place 13 weeks from now, and is already shaping up to be an incredibly compelling meet. This was a fun recap show. We also end the show with a 2 Lights favorite, Hot Takes, and the hot take being single-ply lifting perhaps being overprivileged in the USAPL. Steve has a really good breakdown of that. He gives you the business side of it. I give you more of the emotion side of it. Really good discussion at the end there. It's a two-hour recap, and Steve did this while sick. Again, people get sick during COVID Classic. I mean, during the Corona – I mean, during the Arnold Classic. I mean, unfortunately, Steve has has COVID-19, and he troopered on and soldiered on in this episode. A big – I mean, he has the Two White Lights Award for being most courageous – co-hosts um again great recap episode we enjoyed doing it we always enjoy doing these things best recap you're gonna find in the sport of powerlifting and through all the podcasts be sure to listen to this it's a long episode maybe break it down for yourself but make sure you listen to every single second because a lot of great stuff was talked about in this podcast and before we get into that speaking of great stuff left floor bros left floor bros is the best ladies and gentlemen they have the best merchandise you look good head to toe. They just released some – they just gave me some fantastic merchandise that's continuously getting better. It's continuously looking good. They continuously progress as a company. They keep on making lifters look great. They look make you look good from head to toe, from dad hats to T-shirts, tank tops, sweaters, joggers, socks. You guys all saw my socks that I wore in the Grand Prix stage. They're beautiful. Left Floor Bros is responsible for all that, and also the content they are putting out is incredible. If you guys saw the Left Floor team at the Arnold, you're going to see also some incredible professional recaps from those lifters. They are getting better. They are continuously supporting powerlifting. They're making the sport grow. Follow them on Instagram. If you have not followed them on Instagram, you are missing out, and you're kind of an idiot. I don't know why you would not follow Left Floor Bros at this point. Also, use the best promo code in powerlifting, 2WL15, to save yourself some money on all Left Floor Bros merchandise. Get yourself some Left Floor Bros merchandise. Look good in the gym. Look good outside the gym. Look good on the platform as well because they got you covered there. They just released some amazing comp tees as well. They are making every lifter look damn good while lifting, and you got to love Left Floor Bros because of that. Go to the website. Definitely follow on Instagram and use that promo code 2WL15 to save yourself some money. Also, make sure you are going to lift.net and get yourself in some stoic gear. I wear stoic gear in the gym and on the platform because it is the best. It is quality, and for you, it is the most affordable as well. You're not just paying for a logo. You're not just paying for the brand name. You're paying for quality. Use promo code Angelo10 to save yourself some money, and also they just dropped those beautiful neon belts, knee sleeves, and wrist straps. I was wearing the wrist straps and knee sleeves on the platform. I think it helped my squat performance. I honestly do. And you know why? Because I look good. I knew I looked good while wearing those uh, sleeves and wrist straps. The quality is fantastic as well. Use promo code ANGELO10 to save yourself some money. I mean, 
hell, I don't know if we have to worry about those knee sleeves either. So make sure you use that promo code ANGELO10 and save yourself some money. Also, make sure you're going to Freshly.com and eat healthier. Powerlifters, you eat unhealthy sometimes. We all know it. Sour Patch Kids are a thing. Gummy worms are a thing. You guys eat before your workout. Stop doing it. It's not good for you. Use promo code ANGAFF on Freshly.com to save yourself a lot of money on purchases and also eat healthier. It's going to help your performance if you eat healthier. Trust me, I know from experience, dude. Use promo code ANGAFF. Get yourself some good, flexible, macro-friendly meals, high in protein, high in carbs, and also they got those things called vegetables and fruits in some of them, but vegetables. Those vegetables things are important. They will help your performance. Trust me, vitamins are good. Gummy worms and Sour Patch Kids don't have those. Use that promo code ANGAFF to save yourself some money on some freshly purchases. Also, make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a review as well. I don't know if we have to get creative like the Massonomics guys. If you guys want to make fun of us in the in the reviews and leave a five-star rating, I mean, make fun of us, but leave a five-star rating. You know, don't be a dick. But uh, make fun of us, leave a five-star rating. That's going to help us. I don't know. we got to catch up with these Massonomics ratings. They're killing us on that, and they're killing us on the, the, the reviews as well. And also Spotify has five-star ratings as well. Follow on Spotify too. Leave a five-star rating. And without further ado... Here it is, two white lights. Oh, baby, I like it, bro. Yeah, baby, I like it, bro. And as promised, we are here to recap the Arnold. And just a full disclaimer, Steve Denovi is a trooper right now because he's chugging water. And he's trying to labor his way through this recap because someone's got the cocoa. Yeah, I mean, we're, we always get sick after the Arnold Nationals. We call it the Arnold flu and the Nationals flu, but I got the Arnold Rona um, confirmed positive test today. So, yeah, I don't know who gave it to me, but screw you. Uh, yeah, one, could, one of like two, one of like two hundred thousand people possibly. Yeah, we could blame this on a lot of people right now. So. Um, that's unfortunate, and yeah, I every year there's some sort of like outbreak of flus or some sort of sickness after the Arnold. Uh, good thing we didn't have that Arnold in 2020, because I maybe that would have been really, really dangerous, especially the time uh, given. But um, yeah, thank you for actually doing the recap. Um, we have a lot to recap, and I will say, minus the flu and the COVID and all the sicknesses that can be contained from the Arnold. It was just awesome to be back in Columbus, Ohio, and seeing the Arnold again, and of its full capacity as well. Like, that was getting there on Thursday, going back on Monday. I was just super happy and kind of have that, like, down, you know, that, like, that uh, that down effect of being away from, very similar to Nationals, where it's like an entire week of amazing powerlifting and seeing all your friends and, uh, you know, uh, competing or coaching, and then... It's over, and then you kind of 
you're relieved because you get to relax, but also it's that like, oh man, like it's over. Like we got to wait to next year for it to happen again. Yeah. I mean, it's a reminder. This is still probably my favorite weekend in powerlifting. Um, we'll get into the meets itself um, and kind of how they were probably in comparison to years past and whatnot, but just the entire weekend was just a blast. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Arnold, it wasn't quite as big as just the Arnold in general. I could definitely tell that it was a slight downtick in attendance. Like I ever felt like the expo was like ridiculously packed. Um, I think I heard like something like 120 less vendors signed up. There was like 120 less booths than normal. So it was, it was a little bit of a downtick, but it was still the Arnold. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, getting to see everyone. I know we did stuff pretty much uh, every night together with our whole little group. And it's just, it's just super cool. Um, Cause it's, it's like nationals, except it's just like, it's, it's more personal. That's the best way to put it. Nationals can be overwhelming sometimes where the Arnold is personal. Yeah, and then when you get to Arnold, too, you get more of powerlifting. You get all of powerlifting, almost. Like, Dan Bell's there. Uh, the guys at Massonomics were there as well. I stopped by their booth. They're uh, much taller in person than I thought. I thought they were standing on an elevated surface, but no, they're just tall people, and they picked the right sport to podcast about because they're giants in a sea of short people. So that's what I felt when I went to the Massonomics booth. And I heard they gave you a present because you were so upset that they sent me this natural for life t-shirt yeah i've got a uh lift shirt downstairs currently right now oh to to make sure we even this out a bit so they don't show too much favoritism to a certain host yeah well so thank you massonomics i thought they would do it to the tallest co-host of two white lights not the short one maybe it's just like the like short people stick together i mean i thought maybe tall people stick together Tallest podcast. I thought so, too. Yeah, tallest podcast in powerlifting. They already they, won the early well, two white lights vote. They probably felt bad for you knowing that, like, you needed you needed to pick me up due to your, your height disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I get into a sport where only short people compete in it, so I can get that pick-me-up that I didn't get my entire life. But, yeah, I mean, it's awesome. You don't get that in Nationals. You don't get the Massonomics guy in Nationals. You don't get, you know, Live Large in Nationals. You don't get all these different vendors and all these people. And, you know, you never know who you're going to run into. And, I mean, we're kind of, we're, you know, uh, ambassadors of the sport, if you will. We've done some things on the untested side of powerlifting with the USPA and WRPF. And, you know, it's all kind of connected at the Arnold. Like, I'm just walking through the street at night just hanging out with Ash and, you know, a few other people. And I see Chico Loin. Oh, shit, Chico Loin, sweet. Like, where else do you really just run into Chico Loin in a USAPL meet? Not a whole lot of places, and that happens very frequently. So it was sweet. It was awesome. It was cool to see. It was cool to have that. Uh, it was cool to have that again. And I think it was a great meet for competitions as well. Um, I think there wasn't as many competitors at this Arnold because – there was a bit of a separation, or there's a separation problem between Arnold and Nats. It's only 13 weeks away from each other. So I think even with the rosters, you see a little bit dwindled because of that. Yeah, that's something I think we're going to touch on at the end of the show because I think that's going to be fixed. As far as we know, Nationals next year is going to October. But, yeah, that definitely hurt things, um, especially if the Arnold's the finale next year. Um, that really does create some issues with Nationals and Arnold being so close together. So that we, we definitely have some really good competition. And, again, we'll talk about it, but, like, I think you agree. The A7 Challenge may have been the best meet of the entire weekend, even though that there was a pro side to it. And that was just simply because most of those top pros – didn't want to do this meet for the reason that they have higher priorities in 13 weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was 
I'll get, I mean, I'll get to my performance soon, but that was, a, you know, a, a lingering thought in my mind. I mean, we've covered it already with previous episodes leading up to the Arnold that that was in the back of my mind the entire time because Nationals is kind of the top priority. And yeah, I agree though. The A7 Raw Challenge was incredible. It was a fantastic meet to commentate. I had a blast commentating that one with Solana. Um, and yeah, that was that was incredibly fun. And really, I mean, the other meet that I got to commentate, the Masters meet, too. Like, even for that, because that was the first time Masters were included in the Arnold. And it was it was a really good time commentating them. Like, the amount of passion and energy they show towards the sport is fantastic. And it, it was just fun to see because, you know, we some of us, like, take powerlifting for granted. A lot of people pick up this powerlifting later in their life. And they're excelling at it, and we actually saw some pretty good performances on the uh, the master sides too. Um, um, pulling up the the clip now, we had a five hundred, we had a couple four eighty dot scores, and that's competitive in any. Well, yeah, I mean Patricia Johnson's one of the favorites. I think I think she's hundred kilo. I think she's going to be one of the favorites to win hundred kilo mm-hmm. or ninety kilo. I might be wrong, and I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, I'll be honest. When I first saw the Masters, I was kind of like, eh. When it first got announced, I was like, do we really need a Masters meet at the Arnold? And I'm just strictly wrong about that. Mm-hmm. That was honestly a great addition. And I think that, I mean, basically what got taken away is Battle of the Regions. Battle of the Regions was cool. But if I had to choose between uh, the Masters Pro, like they did, and Battle of the Regions, I'd choose the Masters Pro. Um, I think that was a fantastic way to give them um, a week in there. Um, it was a packed meet because of how many masters wanted to do that, as well as obviously we always talk about like getting more people there. I mean, it just means that we have more spectators eventually. Yeah. The masters were just a great day. Yeah. I, I really like the addition of that meet. I think uh, there was about 80 masters lifters there. Um, and they were, I mean, uh, you know, we had a few, uh, single ply lifters in there as well. Uh, Jason Johnson, Bron Henderson, you know, I, 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 I love Itor competing. I don't know if anyone has seen Itor ever compete. He's one, just a great guy, and also strong as hell. He has a 491 dots raw. <laughs> it's That's really good dots score if you are in the open, but that is – he's 42 years of age, totaled 820. Patricia Johnson, uh, 483, and Alicia Webb both had 483 dot scores. They're both well into their 50s. They are both raw. Uh, Patricia Johnson – Pulled 241 kilos. That's re- like that was a really entertaining thing to commentate. Um, and just, I mean, a lot of great lifts. I mean, Grant Higa, he's kind of a legend in his own. It was really fun uh, commentating that. And you know, I, I guess you know, moving on from that, I, I guess like we should start with what was prepped to be the grand finale or the big meet, and that's the Grand Prix. And of course, we got to lead with Ashton Ruska because Ashton Ruska is. Right now, the face, I think, of the Pro Series. He's going to be leading on points. It's going to be someone else to beat him. And, of course, he goes and has a showcase meet on the big stage. And he always is going to impress everyone when he competes. Yeah, I mean, he's the man to beat. And the crazy thing is, excuse me, the crazy thing about Ashton is he kind of hasn't fully tried yet. Yeah, I always like, think about when I'm competing against him, like, oh, he's doing variations right now. Sweet. <laughs> he's just doing variations of his life. Like, he's toying he's toying with everyone just to make it, like, harder on himself because he doesn't need to do it yet. Now, I believe at Nationals, 
he's going to have to go full on because he's going to get pushed hard by Bob in particular, I think. Oh, yeah. He's not going to be able to go close grip bench and conventional deadlift. But yeah, he was close grip benching. He was conventional deadlifting and still put up a 2,100 pound total off of doing variation lifts. And it's just, it was just kind of, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's never ceases to amaze me. Well, I will say though, and we mentioned this on the preview, if Perk was there fully healthy and able to compete, I don't think Ash could have got away with that. Um, it still would have been very tough for Perk, but I don't like Perk was prepping seemingly for an over 800 kilo total, and that is pretty close to him on dots. So, um, I don't think he could really could have done that if Perk was there, but Perk wasn't there, and that kind of allows Ash to do that. And I still think Ash would have done it. I think he still would have done variations. Yeah, he was still. I mean, he was he was prepping for that before Perk got hurt because I think he would have liked that. Like he he semi does that, and we've seen it before. He does things to make it harder on himself. Mm-hmm. Like he wants to be competitive. He doesn't he doesn't want to just walk away with things. So yeah, I mean that would have been hundred percent. I think Perk could have pushed him based on the trajectory he was to where that would have actually been a battle um, between those two, and that's that's unfortunate. We didn't get to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll talk actually about the futures of the 75s in the USAPL because I think this weekend kind of um, added to that. But um, I think the battle of it, I mean, I was hoping you would segue into it, was uh, me and Gruden. And that was, I mean, it came down to the final polls. And, you know, 771 wasn't quite there that day. And Gruden had himself one hell of a meet. He told me right before the meet he was looking at total 1,800. And I was like, yeah, I Okay, like that's probably what would take for me to beat him is eighteen hundred, and it was that exact number, really. Um, and uh, yeah, it didn't uh, it didn't fall my way. Gruden definitely deserved that victory. He had a better day, and he hit his list. It's particularly he, you know, he beat me with the bench press. And um, you know, I I think uh, going forward, I, we're coming to the conclusion that I can't rely on tying an all time world record deadlift every single meet. In order to win it, probably not going to be the best strategy for me going forward. It's good to have that big pull, but I don't think we should rely on 771 and above to beat guys like Gruden, guys like Noriega, guys like Russ, or guys like Delaney. Like it only could help yeah. you pull you out of a tight spot so many times in your life. The the thing is, it's still close though. I mean, you both of you, I think, talked about the trilogy. It's truly a trilogy come nationals time because. One little hiccup by him, and it's still there. Because, like, I'll, I mean, he's always the, the man of mystery. We talk about we don't know what to expect because he doesn't really post much. Squad and deadlift, it progressed, but it wasn't like anything. I, I thought I heard somewhere, somewhere, I, I heard through the grapevine at one point that he did something like 700 for two on squad. I don't know. People just yeah, make up legends great, of John Gruden. That, that grapevine is bullshit, by the way, because I know who's that grapevine is, and they just spew things out of their ass a lot. So I don't – whatever they say, I take with a big grain of salt. That bench was mm-hmm. impressive, though, because yeah. that was that was a decent PR, and that wasn't that hard. So I very much assume he could have gone 205 with 451 instead of 440. Um, the good thing, though, your your bench is on the rise. Yeah, you definitely hit some momentum. I think to compete with him though at nationals, you're likely going to need to bench 380 plus. Yeah, um, yeah because we- that squat 661 moved well. I mean, we're going to have to see if you add to that. I I wouldn't think it's a terrible thing if you can move 661 better and leave a little bit more room in the tank come nationals for that final deadlift. Because I don't know if that fatigued you, but I mean that was a ridiculously fast meet. You that was the first kind of grinder squat you had. So I wouldn't be surprised that plus what like a two and a half hour meet made it so that come deadlifts you just weren't as fresh as you normally were. 
Um, so it's going to be close. I will say that I, I do think more so than last year, and we'll talk about this come nationals, there's a bit more of a distinct gap that is going to be Sean and Russ, and then it's going to be you and Gruden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I think a little bit last year that the gap, we also had Delaney in there. There, there was a bit that was a, that gap wasn't as far. Um, you and Gruden are fantastic. I'm, we'll have to see. I, I think there's a bit more of a gap where it's going to be a very distinct one, two, barring Sean doesn't get hurt or we don't have any freakish things again. Um, and then it's going to be really strong you versus Gruden for that second, for that podium spot. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, with the gap, though, we're going to see, you know, because I think this happens with projected totals and people doing things. Like, you know, we th- I, we thought that last year, and then, you know, we see what happens when meet day rolls around. Um, you know, I mean, Ru- like, we were like, oh, Russ is going to total 850. Well, he totaled 841. And then Noriega, you know, couldn't make it to deadlifts uh, through an injury. Like, so we'll see if the gap is there come meet day. But – I mean, I would have to improve my bench regardless. I mean, you can't consistently try to beat guys like Rudin, guys like Nori, guys like Russ with a 165 bench press. It just can't happen, you know? And that's kind of the conclusion we came to. And, yeah, like, probably was fatigued. Probably was – or it's probably catching up to me that my squat's improving and, you know – 771 is a lot of weight that only three people have moved in the 83s, and it's all been that exact weight. And it's hard to always do that at a meet in order to get yourself into position. And if I'm going to be Gruden in this trilogy, which, again, this has been a really good battle, and in all honesty, going into the Grand Prix, like the reason why like I had real hesitancy to pull out was because I knew Gruden was going to be there. Like, Gruden was going to be there, and that's like one – I mean – we were head to head at nationals. I beat him by half kilo. Why not compete against him again? Why not give him that shot again? Why not throw yourself in a situation? Because guys, I don't know if I have to tell you this. Doing that is really fucking fun. Competing on a big stage with another person, lift for lift, knowing that you have to hit a lift every single time you go on a set platform is really goddamn fun, and I live for it. It is one of the more special things in powerlifting and it's a high that you really can't capture. And I know like for you being a coach in those battles, I know I talked to Joey Flex being in those battles. It is legit the best thing about being a powerlifter. Um, it's one thing to do it like at a local level, but when it's something like the Arnold, when it's something like nationals, hell, I mean, we're going to see these pro meets. It's going to happen at these pro meets. It is such a fun thing because the tension, you could feel it. The buildup, you can feel it. You're you're also rooting for the guy to hit his lifts because you want to be pushed. Like, I told Gruden, I'm like, because we had a conversation at weigh-ins. He asked me, you know, what I was thinking about totaling. I'm like, where the fuck you totaling a little bit more? <laughs> like, if, you, if you're going to total 1,800, you're going to help me get a big milestone. You're going to push me to a total that's huge, a milestone that I'm going, like, that I was trying to hit, but it's reliant on you getting there. And same thing with him to me. Like, if I was going, if I, if he knew that I had to make that pull, he knows that he has to total 1,800 too. That's why these competitive these, these competitive battles in powerlifting are so great because it elevates you to a higher level. I know I'm probably sounding like a broken record saying this because you've probably heard it a thousand times, but it's true. Competition within your weight class is going to make you hit milestones. All the people who are pushed to go 800 and above, now look where you're at. Now 800 above is top five, 
top six. Or maybe you're falling out of top five and you just total 800 even. You are, actually. It's it's crazy, and that's what competition does. And I mean, it, Grand Prix is one thing, me wanting to compete at Grand Prix, but if Gruden wasn't doing the meet, it would have been easier me to pull out of. Gruden doing that meet really forced me to do it, and yeah, 13 weeks, we got to do it again in Vegas, and I talked to him. We're hoping that this trilogy between him and I will lead to a, a podium position better than second at Nationals. I'm really hoping that half kilo hurts Rush and Sean. I'm not going to lie. Because <laughs> we're the true 181s. We are actually 181 pounds. Because <laughs> I think we both weighed in. I think you weighed in 82 and I weighed in 81.5. So we're we're like within that weight class. We'll see with Russ. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm obviously biased, but we've all already seen with Sean, he weighed in there. Yeah. Oh, no, I know. I'm just hoping... Towards Nationals, it gets to him. <laughs> sure. Why not? So, we'll see on that. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, we talked about it plenty on Two White Lights. We like actual competition, not just some random singular person putting up numbers at a meet. It just makes things way more fun when there's direct head-to-head competition and it's actually a sport versus just a singular person lifting. Mm-hmm. It makes every which, lift feel good by doing that. Every which, single lift feels Which, speaking good. of... Which, speaking of competition, Sam Calhoun, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this at the end. It was hard to follow the Grand Prix. Seemingly, she seemed in control. When I look at it now, um, she still is going to be the favorite at 67, but she's going to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Calhoun, Gabby Martinez, Claire Zai, and Celine Crum, all at 67, are all within 25 kilos. Gabby only totaled, what, uh, 11 pounds less. Claire totaled 22 pounds less than Sam. And then we've got Celine Crum, who I think totaled 40 pounds, but she's also the lightest of the three, and she's the one that has the most room to gain into the class. Um, that was, I mean, we'll talk about multiple classes here, but we finally got to really see kind of how things were going to kind of lay out. And there's some classes that are going to have four to five people that could possibly win yeah. based on now how we're seeing things kind of like uh, where people are kind of uh, at and, and who's in what class and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Sam and Gabby was close. I mean, Gabby, she went for, I believe the American record on her second and no, on her third attempt. Um, she honestly didn't have, Oh, never mind. I'm, I'm looking at pro deadlift. So she hit 462 and she jumped to 485. She actually didn't need, 485 and since, I mean, Sam very well probably could, probably would have pulled more if she needed to. I think she was just pulling whatever she needed. But if Gabby hits that, it puts her at 1140. She's in the mix. Yeah. Claire's in the mix. I don't know. That's going to be very, very interesting come Nationals. I'm still probably going to pick Sam. I mean, Sam, there's a reason she won the Grand Prix. She hit nine lifts like she always yeah. does. Um, and other people missed, but that's going to be a very competitive class. Yeah, and on all honesty, I mean, uh, like the yeah, we'll talk about the end how f- hard it was to uh, pay attention to. I mean, I obviously wasn't really paying attention to it because I was competing during that time, and I was really barely paying attention to every anyone else who wasn't Gruden. Like, um, we were being, I was only being told Gruden's numbers. Like, I didn't know anyone else's numbers going forward. But with with Sam. I, I do think we saw that, and really what I was seeing, I was seeing kind of some jostling going on in lifting casts, and I was, you know, quite not sure what was going on. But, it, like, that is that is actually, like, the hardest thing about competing with Sam 
just knowing that her nine for nine ability is so damn high and you can bet on her being able to pull something for the win and probably get it too. I think he's definitely be pushed, but also like, I think this was coming 67 and a half kilos is turning into the new 63 kilos. And it makes sense, right? There's a gap between 67 or 60 to 67 and a half. 63 is, to, is like the 83s for men. A lot of females fall under that. The strongest females fall under that. We see Leah Bavois, he's 63. Clota Garda, in the grand scheme of things, he's 63 as well. I think 67.5 is going to be the USAPL's stacked weight class where there's just going to be a ton of lifters who are all gunning at Sam. But until Sam, like, shows me that – or just until, until proven otherwise, I don't think I could ever bet against Sam. But here's also the thing. I think she can probably say this along with me. Competing from the Virginia Pro to the Arnold was not the easiest thing to do. Um, I think that had some effects on a lot of lifters. Maybe, you know, every lifter aside from Ash, but the people who did those two meets, it you know, I think the fatigue kind of catches up to you. And I think I think that's what you saw with the Arnold. Um, with Sam. And I'm actually I'm I'm curious to see how that affects her at nationals because you still have to compete with those past competitions being so close to each other. I think that might actually give those other lifters an upper hand. And also, not to mention, those other lifters have a lot of momentum. They have a yep. lot of momentum but going their way. They, they, at the, and, and it helped to Sam, though. They all just did this meet, too, and they went all out. None of them held back. Good point. But, yeah, Sam, I think I think her deadlift in particular suffered a bit from the quick turnaround. Um, because that's what she, I mean, she opened lighter. It wasn't like her third attempt was pulled back just to make sure she secured the weight. I mean, obviously it was to an extent, but based off of her opener being about 10 pounds lighter, she obviously was just coming in and not having quite the same deadlift. Um, we'll see how that comes around, but like, yeah, like I said, that's going to be a very competitive class. Um, I think looking at sixties, that is going to be a really deep class, even though there's, we're going to get into that in a little bit, even though there's kind of a clear favorite there. Um, but yeah, that's 67. I mean, I know some people were annoyed when weight classes got changed, especially 63. Yeah. And a lot of those, pretty much all of those women moved up to 67. I'm just going to be honest. I think we're going to look back in a year, and as fans of powerlifting, we're going to really like that that happens. Yeah. Because we're going to see all of these people. I, I don't think most of them are trying to truly fill out the weight class per se. They're just going to be at a comfortable weight, but they're able to be more comfortable um, and not have to cut into a meet, and they're going to just put up really good performances. And – all of them are ultra competitive already in that class. Yeah, I think this is going to yield some of the best competition we've seen on the female side. Um, I'm very excited for it, and especially with the performance this week this weekend. And that, that was a very good point that you made that they're all they all competed this weekend too. Um, I, I still think just with the succession of meets that Sam has had, you know, that could catch up to her. And especially when you're talking about the entire pro series, because remember the points are going to be important going into the Arnold of uh, grand finale of. Uh, depending on how that shapes out between her and Natalie Richards as well. So there's certain things yeah. you have to look out for. And that's why I think nationals, this, I think because of that, it's going to be a really compelling meet. Like we're going on weight classes. You're still got to win your weight class. It's still incentive to win weight classes. In spite of what other people say, there's a definite incentive to still win the weight class. And if you win a certain weight class, you're going to get a ton of points on that too. And that's going to help you in the pro series. But the, 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 the grand finale how how it's shaping up right now with Sam Calhoun and Natalie Richards as far as best female goes in the USAPL. Yeah. Um, and 
One thing that, I mean, again, this might not have been Sam, like it might have hurt Sam a little bit to do this meet, but at the same time, that extra five points she now has may be very big because points at nationals are a lot harder to come by. If you can do one of these pro series meets and hit that first place 50 points, that's going to help a lot. So we could see that come back around and be really beneficial for her. Um, and like you, I, I'm going to touch on something you said. Um, I don't get people saying that like nationals winners are any less important now. I don't, I don't agree there. I don't know anyone who is actually going for a national title that's devaluing it. Because um, I think most, most people are still caring more about winning that national title than winning $5,000. Like, I think you'd be the same. Like, if you had to choose between winning the Grand Prix and 5000 or winning nationals, which would you choose? Winning nationals. If I could beat Russ, it'll be uh, uh, almost priceless. Yeah, I don't think anyone's devaluing that. I think anyone saying that is talking from a perspective that's not the athletes. Well, yeah, on top of that, I think it's just because the IPF, or it's there's no filler into it, right? The Nationals isn't the filler into Worlds. And that's like, oh, well, what are you going to do after that? Well, this is what you do after that. This is like the playoffs, and that's the championship. You could perform well in the playoffs, perform in the championships, but I think people are so stuck in the in the 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 – old mindset of powerlifting where nationals is leading to worlds. Now part of me like, kind of wants to change the name to nationals to something to like actually lead into like the pro series finale to kind of direct that confusion. But I still like nationals is the most appropriate thing to call it. You know, it's the best within your nation. So that's the national title, right? That's your national title within your weight class. I don't know. I, I do think that, I think people devaluing that are on the IPF side, and that like that's it makes sense, right? Because you you would you would do that would be the because you if you're on the IPF side, you believe world competition should be the the thing, and if you're on the USAPL side, you think that a pro competition should be the thing. So it's just kind of a conflict of um, culture or a conflict of how you think the sport should be ran. But no, nationals is. Really shaking up to be uh, shaping up to be very compelling. I mean, even other weight classes where we lost a few, it still can lead to some really great matchups uh, going forward too. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think this is. And speaking of compelling, I think one person, preview. I think one person we both underrated um, that now is the favorite, in my opinion, to win the fifty twos is Jamie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, she put together. Really what I see from her is she put together the meet it looks like she had planned for last year's nationals and this time she hit all her lifts. Yeah. Like, uh, obviously her strength's been improved, but I think more so she just came in spot on and she looks, I mean, her total, I believe, what does she have? She had a 415. I believe she, 415? Okay. Well, 422.5 I think was Andrea Riley's total last year. So Jamie Fisher is right on the cusp of doing exact of possibly winning over what was done last year. Um, I think if Andrea and Marissa were still there, Jamie would be very strongly in contention based on where she's at right now. Oh, very. So, oh, uh, but yeah, I, I think she's, the battle would be more so between Jamie and uh, Andrea. Like, yeah, like Marissa. I think I mean I think we've seen in the past like three performances. You know, but I mean I mean Andrea I think has already proven to be the lifter. 
and Jamie's definitely on the come up and going nine for nine at going nine for nine at that meet and improving upon your total 10 kilos and improving your dots almost 10 is incredibly difficult. That was a fast meet. I think you alluded to it earlier, but that was a 90 minute meet. You're taking your first squat and for last, or you're taking your first squat and last deadlift within almost just, just over an hour of each other. This is not an easy meet to go nine for nine, especially when you're really shooting for a total there. And Jamie Fisher did that. Mass, like that is a massive performance. And I, if I'm being honest, though, I did not see her lifts. I was I was warming up while she was hitting her lifts. How, how did how did they look? Uh, I think I only caught deadlifts, and they look good. I mean, we'll talk about it later. I didn't know what was going on, so I didn't know the perspective of how good it was when I was watching, so it was hard to be able to say, oh, that was really good. But, I mean, yeah, nothing – I mean, she looked great, I mean, from what I could see. Yeah. Well, I mean, a nine-for-nine nine day, I mean, that's, that's a perfect meet. And, yeah, she I, – I would definitely put her my favorites for the USAPL, but also the world's best uh, – well, I mean, joining Imani, um, and that's, that's going to be very difficult. Is joining Imani 52? No, I think she went 57. 52 is uh, Noemi Albert. Oh, okay. Even that. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So that lifter. Oh, yeah. No- Noemi is. Yeah, she's pretty beastly, too. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I still think it's compelling. I still think there's a claim there for world's best um, for Jamie Fisher. But, yeah, it was – that was a big breakout meet. I know she was ecstatic in the, uh, the warm-up room, just incredibly happy to go 9-for-9 nine nine and take 4th overall. And this was – getting 4th overall, I think, on the female side was a little bit more of a difficult task than getting 4th overall on the men's side. Yeah, because the, the, just straight up, the women's from top to bottom in the pro side, the Grand Prix and the Pro Raw was just deeper. Um, the men men's in general was pretty shallow. We saw less – because it's the opposite. The, I think that's partially why we saw it. The VA Pro – was heavily male dominated in the sense of like competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, we only had six women competing, even though they were very good. Like we had 18 guys and it was super deep. We kind of saw the opposite here. It was definitely a much deeper uh, talent pool on the women's side in the pro meets and at the Arnold. Yeah. And uh, we'll use to our next point, uh, Brittany Saplicki. Um, so I uh, gets fifth at this meet. And I think that, I mean, it, I don't think there was a surprise there from Brittany. Uh, seemed like this is a meet she just was going to do. And this really does set up for a, a pretty big battle there at um, at that weight class. Go, uh, come now. Yeah, I mean, 60 kilos, I think we probably have a very uh, heavy favorite, Natalie Richards. Um, I think it's less about if Natalie Richards wins and more about, like, does she win best overall lifter? Because I think she's on track for that. Um, but... If we're looking at the Arnold as – because, again, as we said, this really gave us insight in some of these weight classes. Between all these meets, we had Brittany Siplicki, Christian Hazard, Caitlin Barry, and Charlie Leonard, all totaling within 20 pounds of each other. Mm-hmm. That's the battle for second. We have four people that are – I mean, they showed us their cards for the most part of what we're going to see in 13 weeks, and that's the battle for second. And really, I mean, three of those people have not, I don't want to say they, we, we don't know who they are. Well, one, Christiane Hazard, completely out of nowhere. I'm, I'm going to say that like she was a huge sleeper that I had never, I had not heard her name before and she came out of nowhere for the Arnold. Obviously we know who Caitlin Barry is. We talked about Charlie Leonard, but I didn't, I didn't think that they were this close. Yeah. That, those four, that is going to be 
incredibly intense battle for that like second through fifth spot at nationals. Yeah, I mean with the 57s last year at nationals being an incredible incredible battle, possibly the best uh I no, I'm not even going to say possibly the best female showdown of raw nationals. I think that battle for second is going to be of it's going to be must watch powerlifting. That's going to be a You lot know what's even crazier? Brittany deadlifts 407, Christian deadlifted 396, Caitlin deadlifted 407. Charlie deadlifted 407. <laughs> yeah, you really don't even get can't the advantage. Even, yeah, you don't even get the advantage. Yeah, you, can't, you can't say a single one of them's getting the last pull because they all pull the same. Yeah. I mean, this, I think, and this is the 60 kilo weight class. So, again, that, that gap between 60, 60 and 67 and a half is going to, I think, yield some of the best powerlifting matchups we've seen um, on the untested side in a long time. Like that is going to be an incredibly, incredibly compelling matchup um, between all those lifters, and I mean, really, all of them were a pleasure to watch too. I mean, Brittany Saplicki, although it's a tough meet, and she uh, took a down t- tick on dots, nine for nine day. I mean, really uh, taking an appropriate, smart approach to things, which is good to see. But um, you know, and also, you know, hopefully recovers in time for nationals because you always want these lifters to be hundred hundred percent going into a big battle. Like I want it. Like I'm. I'm hopefully commentating yeah. that part. Hopefully we're not competing. And really, really that. And really, one thing to notate: the down tick for Brittany was on dots because of body weight, not really because of total. She pretty much totaled what she has been. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the fact that she's now filling out the 60 kilo weight class, and or I, th- I think she tended to cut a lot, so maybe now she just doesn't have to cut, so it's a lot easier for her. And she can just walk into the meat. But yeah, we're talking about a. I mean, we lost some people. We lost Meg Scanlon, who probably would have been in this class, and that would have been very fun to have her in it. But the fact is we're talking about Brittany Sedlicki, who was last year's national champion, now having three people on the come up, 122, 119, 126 years old, uh, that are going to be right on her heels. Yeah, and then the, the premier lifter of that weight class, Natalie Richards, which, I mean, that's going to be her national debut. Has never done nationals, correct, Natalie Richards? Nope. Nope. She's arguably the best lifter in all the USAPL and she's never done nationals. Yeah, exactly. So there's going to be a lot of storylines with 57 and 67 and a half, or not 57, 60 kilos and 57 and a half or 67 and a half. And also, um, it could get more compelling. I might have to tell you this after the, uh, after we go off air because I don't know if it's completely out there, but maybe an announcement or a few coming soon that might make that entire battle that more compelling. So I'm excited and it sucks. It sucks. I can't say it, but um, yeah, that's, that's going to be really fun uh, watching them going forward. And um, now let's go to the pro raw. This is something, unfortunately I just, you got actually, because you were coaching for the pro raw. I mm-hmm. didn't get to see any of it. Like I was all over the place that day. I was competing later on. I couldn't tune into the live stream, really. What happened? So, uh, one, I didn't really get to see the first session. I only saw the second session because I was in the second session with Autumn. Uh, fastest meet I've ever seen. It lasted two hours and 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, they ended up making it only one flight because it was supposed to be two flights, but there were so many dropouts they ended up making it one flight. Um, it pretty much came down to two distinct battles. We had Jared Barton versus Eric LaPointe for the overall. And then Caitlin Barry versus Autumn Green for the overall. 
Um, the fact is, I, I mean, because of the separation for the Grand Prix and the Pro Raw, I, I am going to be honest. The Pro Raw didn't quite seem like a pro meet. It didn't quite have that that energy like the VA Pro had, and I assume like you all had it back in the Grand Prix. Um, it'll definitely help if Nationals goes October because we're going to get a lot more people signing up for this meet where I think a lot didn't do it and because of uh, of Nationals coming up. But that doesn't take away from Jer- – we'll start with Jared Martin versus Eric LaPointe. Uh, <clears throat> That's a very interesting battle, not only because it came down to the last poll and Jared hit it to win by one dot point over Eric. It's also interesting because Jared, I think, added 30 kilos to his total. Big break. Um, He's he's going to be the heavy favorite in that 125 class. And even if we had Blake Atwell, Tristan, I think Tristan Nasalrod and Dennis not leaving – I don't know if Jared would still not be the favorite. Dennis hasn't been the same lately. Um, Jared definitely outtotaled anything Blake or Tristan has done. So huge meet for him. Um, I don't think we were even really, I mean, we were talking about him having a good meet, but definitely not in the sense of like, I mean, if you look at the pro standings, I think he finished third. Or fourth behind you. Yeah, he's, um, he's not necessarily a he, he's not a big social media guy either. So you can't really get a good like I can't really get a good gauge on you know what he's doing anyways in the gym to really give a fair prediction. So it's that's a big meet though. Um, going for yeah five thirty two fourth overall pro on the day and also beating Eric Lapointe. I know I was I was I think we were both pretty uh, confident with Eric Lapointe and he had himself a great day as well. I think shaping up to be the favorite in the 75 kilo weight class. That's, um, you know, that, that is Austin Perkins removed. So that's going to be just an absolute party of who's going to get that first spot. Yeah. The, the 75 kilo class. I mean, obviously we don't have Atwood. We don't have Perkins. So it's a bit different. Um, but that is going to likely be the most competitive class in all of nationals with I, there possibly could be seven to eight people I could win. Um, you're going to have Eric. Uh, I have it down here. Mark Frizzell's entered the chat. Yeah. Um, he competed heavier at the VA Pro, and he actually cut down to 75 this time. He totaled 710. That's only 30 kilos less than Eric. We got Anas Ambar. We got Jacob Ramos. Uh, we've got Joe Borenstein. Um, I think I'm missing some others, but there, there's – there's likely seven to eight people that are going to total like seven ten plus in like that seven ten to seven fifty range at nationals, and that is going to be an insanely insanely competitive class. That's going to be crazy. Yeah, Mark Russell, uh improved his dots um, a considerable amount, about twenty dots points, and that's not an easy thing to do in that short turnaround from Virginia Pro to the Arnold. That is, I mean, yeah, the 75s, I was just talking about it. It's just, it, you know what's really fun? Just listing off a bunch of names who could win 75s. Just keep doing it. Like, just keep on with the, like, with the potential some lifters have to win it and then what the total is to win. It's, I, it's really kind of a, uh, it, it's kind, it's just all over the place on who could win. And that, like, commentating that or spectating that or really following along with that, that is going to be something that's a little bit rare because we're not talking about just lifters battling for second here, like uh, we are in certain other weight classes. We're talking about lifters battling for first, and it's not just four people. It's all over the place. It's eight. I mean, we're like this, I think, is I think 75s are on the rise again of having that, that very similar feel of 2019 Raw Nationals where it was uh, 
you know, Austin or uh, Atwood, Perk, Cho, and C. I think we're starting to yep. get that with some rising 75s. And I don't know if the numbers are going to quite be there because Taylor Atwood's numbers skews – or Taylor Atwood and Perkins' numbers skew everything. Like, it just skews it so much because once you add one of those people in, it's like, okay, now it's a battle for a second. I mean, if we're using IPF Worlds, we likely have six to seven people that could have won IPF Worlds last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, people I forgot, too. It's, it goes 10 deep. I'm counting now. It goes 10 deep for people who could viably win nationals. Some I left out. Neil Lasano, Aubrey Hogan, Michael Cola, DiPietro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. And Josiah Vivero. Yeah. I mean, it goes 10 deep. Yeah. That's insane. And all of them are going to probably total somewhere around 710 to 750-ish. Yeah, Josiah Vivero was the uh, was a 75 kilo winner of the A7 challenge, and you know his his best meet too is at a 517 dots. He's his best total is 715. I think he actually dealt with the injury bug just a little bit, and that's where you're seeing a little downtick in his total. But he had himself a really good meet at the A7, went eight for nine, missed his last deadlift. So yeah, it's all over the place. Michael Cole Di Pietro, we I mean he's like two white lights favorite, right? He's he's our guy. Um, his his top end could possibly be 740. I I don't know. I I think he's working his way into things again. But what what do you think will be the top end when 75s in nationals? I'm gonna eventually research this really heavy because I coach Anas Ambar, so I'm gonna need to be <laughs> heavily into knowing this. Um, I I'm gonna probably say 750. Okay, right now. Neil Asano and Eric Lapointe are both at 740. Um, probably somewhere between 740 to 750, just depending on how people do. Um, now, there's a big one coming up that we're going to find out in three weeks. There could be a clear favorite popping out in Joe Bornstein. Yeah, we got to see oh, how he. I'm excited we got for that one. We got to commentate that kid's lift from yep. center. We got to see what he does on a national stage because it's possible he comes out and kind of just says, "I'm going to win." And I'm going to be the favorite. The next Perkins, Joel Bornstein. Yeah. The next Perkins, the next Austin Perkins. He has all the makings of it. He has. I mm-hmm. mean, really, he does. All right. I just got a little excited because I he responded. Uh, or I think he asked me today if I was going to commentate that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be there. And I that's one of the big lifters. I'm um really looking forward to commentate. So hey, man, you know, 74's got a little bit of you know that uh. That hype taken from them a little bit, like with it being the Taylor Atwood and Austin Perkins show. It's really unfortunate what happened to Perkins, but this is the lifter's time to really shine and get to that level and build upon a total and really grow into the 75 kilo weight class or solidify themselves as 75s. Because I think the problem with 75s and 74s is people just get too big. You know, it just happens. Like you just, you're not going to be that size for a long time. I think Atwood's the anomaly. I think Perk is going to be that way for a long time. Um, but, you know what's interesting looking at these 75s though is most of these 75s are older. Um, which is interesting because there are people that are not yeah. going to grow out of it. Like, uh, Eric's 29, Anas is 29, Mark's 30, uh, Josiah and Michael are 26. Uh, that is interesting that we definitely have some people that likely are like solidified in this class. But like you said, I mean, we've got some other ones. Juan Rios is only 20. Jacob Ramos, 23. Uh, Joe's, I only think, 19 or 20. So they might struggle a little bit more. But, yeah, a lot of people tend to struggle to stay in this weight class long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, uh, going back to that pro side, because everything is, you know, looking, uh, you know, that, that 
that pro series, uh, everything is looking great for the 75s. Uh, another, Keanu Webb looking to be 82.5 kilo national champion. I think early favorite solidified herself with this meet. Yeah, I think the only question mark is how's the weight cut affect her? Mm-hmm. Because she was weighing in at 88. She's obviously got to cut down, and she did confirm to me that her plan is to cut down and compete at 82. So she's getting her diet back on point to get down it to 82.5. My assumption is she's probably going to run away with that. Um, I think she's about, I mean, if you're taking the total she just had, well, she just totaled, I think, 540 maybe or 530 something. Um, that's like almost 40 kilos heavier than the next person up. So, um, she's definitely going to be the heavy favorite to win that, uh, 82.5 class, especially because Keona Peak and Margaret Hampton, I believe, are signed up at 90. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that as well. Um, of course, rooting. I mean, that's a lot of people just fan favorites. 82 and a half kilo weight class. Yeah. People love them. Wind it up for those, wind it up for the 82 and a half kilo weight class. <laughs> Because uh, they're they're just there's some fun great lifters who are strong as hell. So no, <clears throat> excuse me, Rona taking me. The other battle we talked about Jared versus Eric. The other battle that was really prominent that I got to be a part of mm-hmm. was Caitlin Barry versus Autumn Green. Funny enough, Steve Denovi oh, versus Sean Noriega. I was, I was about to say the, the what can possibly lead to the the end of powerlifting's newest and perhaps yeah. great bromances between cl- coaches and clients. Which, there was a lot of storylines in this one. Caitlin had a very weird day. Um, there were some issues with the handoff, the liftoff person. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Um, where she actually got a relift on her for after her first one that she missed again because of another botched liftoff, and then she came back and ended up literally crushed 120 kilos on her third. Then come her third deadlift, she timed out from not setting up fast enough. Um, so it left the door open. Um, and, uh, with Autumn, we had, we had about the perfect day. She set the American record squat three for three on bench going in the deadlifts. We took a bigger jump into our second attempt to probably we, the, the right second attempt was probably 202.5. And I, I know she had that, but we had, we went to 207.5 because if she had hit 202, I don't think she could have done 207. Um, because 207 is what she needed. It would have got her, uh, to beat Caitlin by one dot point. So we gave it a shot, didn't break the floor, gave it a shot on, on her third again. She got to like a little bit below her knees and lost her balance forward. So it just wasn't quite there. Um, which was some, that's, if you want to read my post on that, I've got some breakdowns of, uh, what we're going to do different with Autumn's deadlift because she actually deadlifted 465 in the gym pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just wasn't there on meet day on things that are my fault, but that was a really fun battle. And that's, <clears throat> both from Caitlin, obviously super young and her progress has been insane ever since working with Sean. So like we talk about how this 13 weeks is really short for some people. 13 weeks could be a long time and since for Caitlin Barry's progression with how fast she's progressing. Oh yeah. We could see something entirely different come nationals from her. You know, I, I, I think with the kind of the previous show we did, we might've, I think put perhaps unfair like expectations on Caitlin. I don't th- I'm not saying she minds in any way. I'm saying with the progress she had to go 508 dots, and if you look at her previous meets, that is really a big, big improvement, and she looks much better. I mean, with the coaching under Nori, she looks incredible. And, I mean, and she had a, she had to respond to a lot of adversity. Um, like you said, that squat, or that, um, I mean, missed her second squat, her bench as well. 
still kind of recovers and able to go 508 dots. In that weight class, she's going to be incredibly competitive. And also, I think within this pro series and within the years coming forward, this is going to be one of the premier lifters. 508 is a very good dot score to improve upon, especially when you're 19 years old. You're going to have a lot of time to improve on that. And she's looking more and more polished. And I think she's going to be able to – she's no stranger to the platform, by the way. But it does take some time when you have that – really, you know, big progress that you receive through a coach and then continuing that progress. I, you know, lifters still need to dial that in on the platform and get used to it and make sure your training's consistent and keep that momentum going. Yeah. And like, yeah, I, maybe not this year, but I think the two people I see that are young, which just unlimited potential to eventually be there with possibly, challenging Natalie Richards for best overall lifter is Caitlin, <clears throat> excuse me, Caitlin Berry and Jessica Espanol. Yeah. Um, Jessica, I think just totaled 402.5 in the gym at 48 kilos. I mean, she's starting to push to the point where um, she's getting to like Heather Connor numbers, but yeah. that's a different story. We'll talk about that on nationals. Autumn, um, not quite in total the meat we wanted. I think there was about, 15 kilos to 20 kilos we left in the tank that we thought would be there. But either way, uh, come nationals, I don't know. Maria Daly is one of those Midland lifters that we don't hear anything because they don't post and we don't know what's going on. Yeah. Maria Daly could come in and just blow away nationals because she's just insanely strong. Um, but we never know with her, but it's likely going to be a, assuming I, I don't see her signed up yet at nationals. So I, I assume she's doing it, but she's not signed up. Um, it's going to be a likely three-way battle between Autumn Green, Jasmine Penn, and Maria Daly in that 75 kilo class. That's kind of like the the the, the three-way battle there. And it's all it's it's tough because none of them post much. I know what Autumn does because I coach her, but she doesn't post much. Jasmine, no one ever knows what she's doing because she never really posts. And then Maria doesn't post at all. So that that's going to be one outside of my own personal knowledge of my lifter that no one's going to have any idea what's going on going in the nationals. Yeah, call it the low-key weight class, right? Like, you just don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on with those lifters. And they're fantastic lifters as well. Uh, Maria Daly is a lifter that we do forget about because, like, just so unfrequent on social media, which is still another funny sentence that is only said in powerlifting. You're not, you're not frequent enough on social media, so we can't accurately give you a scouting report for this next meet coming up. But we do know that Maria Daly is an absolute beast. Um, whenever she goes to a meet, she pulls something nutty. Her total is getting crazier and crazier. Um, Jasmine Penn, we know what Jasmine Penn can do on the platform. I mean, Jasmine, defending national champion, brilliant lifter, excellent lifter. Um, that, that's going to be a fun one. Also, you know, I think just uh, looking at the day, I think everyone on this day had a weird day because of the speed of the meets. Because I know there was just some, yeah, there was some, I mean, Solana, when I comment, uh, commentated with her, she was like, it was a fast meet. And we're none of us are used to a one-flight meet. Like, no one is really used to that. That's like a COVID meet is a one-flight meet. I've been in one-flight meets, so though, that didn't go that fast. That was insane. Um, the Pro-American at 2020 was one flight, but that did not last two hours and 20 minutes. I don't know. Honestly, I, I, I have it in my notes. I'm going to blame this on trying to fit equipped into the pro raw that because they had to force that in there. It should have been one session. It should have been one session with two flights. It could have easily been done. Uh, 
their equip needs to stop. We're going to talk about that again. Equip, equip needs to be stopped being privileged into things that it should not be because that, that kind of messed up the pro raw for the actual pro lifters because equipped amateurs had to be part of the same meet and made this weird session combination. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that more in the end, but I think that was kind of echoed around through the entire meet was just that. And again, I saw that it was weird. I saw the first section. I was so confused. I saw four people in the dugout. And I'm like, what's happening? Why are there only four people in the dugout? And then I talked to – well, it was funny because uh, that day Perk and Leo commentated, which I was going to thank them towards the end of the show. They did an amazing job. Perk, thank you for filling in there. Leo, you're a goddamn pro, and I love you. And also Kyle filled in for Leo, and I was sitting like, man – you know, it's a lot for them to commentate. And then I looked at the flights, and they're like an hour each. Or the sessions, and they're like an hour each. I'm like, oh, okay, they got the, they got the best days to commentate. So that at least worked out for uh, them in the long – or that at least worked out for, like, at least my nerves in the long run. But, yeah, it was, like, bizarre going in there, checking on Leo and Austin, and seeing, like, two lifters in the dugout and getting confused and why there's only two lifters in the dugout. Um, but we'll talk about that more towards the end. Uh, the Pro Raw still, you know, provides a bit of a scouting report for Nationals. I mean, uh, Kurt Navarro was in there. He, I know his total kind of was just a, a feeler meet to build into Nationals. Um, uh, what else we got? Uh, I mean, Tiffany Long, she is in that. Actually, what weight class is she in? Is she no longer in the 48s? Oh. She's in 52s. In 52s, okay. I believe. Mariah Bolden is in the 56s. Uh, she likely, she's a little bit behind Jamie, but right now I think she's probably looking, <coughs> she's looking, uh, very nice in a spot to podium. Um, yeah, I think she's, she's probably one of the favorites to podium there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. Have, we we still have yeah we, the the pro raw in spite of it being a little bit you know um a, a strange day to say the least all lifters that day were just like this was a difficult meet to compete at I think still you have a pretty good idea what's going on into that raw nationals and onto I think the best example of a fun compelling exciting powerlifting meet was what happened on the A seven raw challenge on Sunday that was. One a long meet. I mean, it was it was the exact opposite of the previous day, where it was all very like three very short meets. That was a regular size meet. I wouldn't say it was a long meet. I'd say it was regular size compared to what we see at national meets. And for both male and females, we had pull for the win scenarios. We had lifters who had to be perfect throughout the entire day. We had some breakout stars, and what we saw last: Jimmy Villanueva versus Brian Lee. Both lifters were so damn good throughout the day. I'll talk about Jimmy in a bit here, but Brian Lee, I'm not going to lie. I was totally unsure of Brian Lee going into this meet. He has a tendency to miss lifts on the platform. He says himself that he goes five for nine way too often. And when he started hitting his squats and bench, immediately I'm like, this is the best meet of his career. He is yeah, I, I thought really, I thought really after squat and bench he had in the bag. Yeah, I did too. I was like, and I wasn't expecting. I'm like, he might have done the really hard thing of winning in the first session because we talked about it on the commentary uh, on the commentary with Solana. 
Gage, Jimmy, and all the other people in the second session have a big advantage. They know exactly what they have to beat. But it was looking at the points that he was going to get close to a 550 dots, which would have been third overall lifter of the meet, pros and amateurs combined. He would have surpassed me, actually, with a uh, four. 49 dot or 549 dots. It really looked that way. He couldn't hit his last two deadlifts. He was very close for hitting his second deadlift there. And I think he opened perhaps a little bit too high. I think his top end that day was about 295. But I'm still incredibly impressed by Brian Lee. I mean, just the meat execution, I wasn't totally sold on. He executed very well at this meet, and we're looking at a rising star in powerlifting and also a big rising star in that weight class. Yep. Before even talking about Brian Lee, I'll say something about two things. One, I've seen a lot of A7 Raw challenges. This was by far the most exciting because of the pro card being on the line. Mm-hmm. I, I think the lifters would say it too. They were more, like usually it's like a thousand bucks you win if you win the overall lifter. Yeah. I would guarantee Jimmy and Celine probably, and like the lifters competing for pro cards, probably had more motivation wanting to win that pro card than if it was just a thousand dollars and no pro card. Like the, 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 the thought that and the battles that went into that was the most compelling I've ever seen at the Arnold in the sense of the a seven raw challenge. Yeah. It was awesome because there's no room for second. Why, why would you pull for second? Why would you get yourself in a position to get second? There's no reason to you go for first, you go for first in a situation. And that's where you see you where you saw lifters, Again, having to hit all of their lifts. Telling you guys, this is a fun thing to watch and do in powerlifting meets. Hitting all your lifts and being anxious about your opener on bench and your second attempt on bench. All these lifters really had to do it. And I'll say, because we've talked about it, I've had ideas that there should be more meets like this where there's individual pro cards up for grabs at like high tier primetime meets mm-hmm. um, with how awesome it was to watch that. I think those meets on a more frequent base, not super frequent, a couple a year would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do too many because we can't dilute the pro card status. But um, I think I make the proposal like right now at nationals, they're doing something like four pro cards for like dots based people who don't place top three. I take those away and then start creating meets outside of nationals for these lifters to be able to battle for pro cards, just because of how exciting. And like, it's just, just go for broke, win or go home. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, going back to Brian, uh, oh, the other thing I was going to say, um, if USAPL is listening, I think I'd recommend next year with the A7 Challenge and or anything like this, if you were to do more meets that had an individual pro card up for grabs, uh, you need to create a primetime session and put the top qualified dots lifters in a singular flight mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to make very, sure that they are all in the same flight, not in separated sessions. Um, but yeah, Brian, uh, it's really interesting now. Um, we lost, in the sense of USAPL, lost Garcia and Manzo mm-hmm. um, to uh, PA, which obviously somewhat diluted the uh, 67.5 class. But honestly, we now got Brian Lee, Morgan Aquino, and Daniel Clements. Yeah. That's a nice three-way battle. I mean, Dan's going to be the favorite. Oh, yeah. But Morgan and Brian Lee, I think both very likely could total 700 kilos at uh, Nationals. And if they do, that means Dan can't miss. Yeah. They're building something. All those lifters are building something. And I watched Brian Lee. 
he's building something right now, and it's looking special. That was the guy that I'm. I will say again. I will eat crow here. I doubted. I doubted him because I saw some of his training and I saw some of his past me performance. Like this dude is strong, no doubt, but he's got to figure out how to put stuff in the platform. And he's almost figured it out. And we saw what the potential is when he hits lifts, and it's something special. Like really, I don't even think you're getting his true total there. I think his true dots is about five forty-five if he if he takes that second attempt there. And in all honesty. I thought his opener moved well. I really, I actually thought that three oh, uh, what did he attempt three oh two for his uh for his second? Yeah, three oh two. Yeah, three oh two point five for his second. I I thought that was a, a good call. I, I but I I mean I, that's me not watching his warm ups or me not watching really like or having really a whole lot of uh, experience watching him on the platform. Isles I know is he misses a lot of lifts and. That day he didn't. Um, he was really clinical with the squat, uh, squats, putting, I mean, I think opened up with a PR and got up to 240, uh, worked 157 and a half. And, you know, he's, and also he does have tendency to be a big deadlifter. Like he has, I think he's a junior record holder in deadlifts. So he's got that record there for himself. It's, uh, yeah, when 67 and a half rolls around, Brian Lee's going to be great. But, on the flip side of the list, Jimmy Villanueva. Jimmy Villanueva had two battles going on. He had to know what he had to hit to beat Brian Lee. Also, he had to still compete with the other 82 and a half those day who were in contention there. Gage Carrion and Uthong Pros, who had a fantastic meet. We'll talk about him in a second. Jimmy was clutch. That was Mamba mentality if I've ever seen it. It was so damn clutch the entire day to go nine for nine knowing you have to hit all of your lifts and do it on that final pull which he missed 330 at nationals he clutched up big time hit a fadeaway jumper to win the game by just it was it was a better attempt than his second that was pro that was clutch that was probably my favorite part of the meet was him destroying the final pull of the day and getting that pro card you can't that's that's a buzzer beater yeah, I, I think he was easily good for 335. I have I have very little doubt about that. His deadlift from the opener, you could just tell, was on. He was on the entire day. Um, so he's, I mean, depends on how his training goes until nationals, but I, he is very much in the picture for kind of like that 800 kilo range. Um, I mean, you got him and probably David Chan really looking at like the people that are going to kind of be nipping. That's one thing for you, you and Gruden is like you and Gruden might be battling and if one of you misses a lift and totals 800 you might see David Chan and or Jimmy Villanueva oh. jump over and steal fourth place we're, because yeah we're we're going to cover these 82 and a halves come nationals i mean because David yes. Chan you know immediately says you know don't count me out oh David we're not counting you out we're not counting anyone out because we are looking at some insane dot scores and What's the cutoff to get into top 10 for 82 and a halves? Like 525 for dots to get into the top 10? It is insane. You have some people in 82 and a halves who are to- – like Uthong Pros had a, a ridiculous day. You know, and that was the guy like we really – I mean, uh, we couldn't really find his Instagram. I found his actual real Instagram, and he is posting. So that kind of hurt our scouting report there. But 521 dots at this uh, meet. Gage was just behind him with a 520. 
<laughs> that might be the cutoff of like eighth place when nationals rolls around. There's nothing and honestly, probably even honestly, probably even higher than that. Like it's probably it's going to be insane. I mean, you got people like Michael C coming up and. Yeah. I for- 82.5 is going to be stupid. There's guys that we're forgetting, and there's Kyle D. Leon coming in who has a 785 total, I believe. <laughs> that's that's really good to get into that uh, top five position there, too. Like, you can't miss the list that these guys are. Charvis. Oh, all right. There you go. Charvis. <laughs> Lucky. Lucky Lucci. Lucky is at 775. Yeah. He's going to be do it. 775. Christopher total. Perez. David Shelton. Yeah, it's it's oh man, there's another one too. No, the eight the eighty two point fives are stupid deep. Primar from uh yeah, Hawaii. That's what I was about to say. He he's also putting together training totals that are really, really dangerous right now. So I mean with Jimmy Villanueva, I, I think he shows that he's executing lifts. Um and you know, and of course, this is a big weekend for Joe Stanick at uh Game Day Barbell because he played the game perfectly there. Um, I even think with myself, he played the bench cards really well. I think with Jimmy Villanueva, he did too. I mean, if you look at his numbers, you know, he at 185 kind of saved something for deadlift there and knew that he couldn't miss a lift, took the safe route, picked the perfect number for him, and was able to really play the game there. And that's a hard thing to do, again, because you're not competing with Brian Lee at that given moment. You're competing with Brian Lee a second afterwards. So you got to still think about that stuff. Like, it's... He, he did a great job with that, and it was, it, you know, it's all the stuff that I love in a powerlifting meet. A powerlifting coach also needing to make the right calls. And still, again, that entire day, they were still competing with Gage Newthong. It wasn't that clear cut. And and we'll talk about him, Devin Williams. Oh, yeah, Devin Williams. Well, I was thinking of 82 and a half, uh, where it's a little easier. Okay. Big Devin Williams at 110. Like, and he, yeah, posted up a big, big total there. So it, it's this was a uh, fun thing to watch. Yeah, and before getting like Gage and Devin, the battle of the entire weekend was Celine Crum versus Maya Wright versus Charlie Winner, Charlie Leonard versus Christian Hazard. Off of openers, they were all within like three dots points of each other. Mm-hmm. After squat, Charlie and Christian, I think, were ahead of Selena Maya by like four or five dots points. Now that's the one thing I, I made a note. We talked about this last year at Nationals too. Projected total off openers doesn't mean that much. There's mm-hmm. sometimes people open a little bit heavier and you say, oh, they're, it, that doesn't mean Charlie and Christian had a bad beat by anyways, but like because of their openers being where they are, they were actually, I think up until, it wasn't until deadlift that Selena Maya kind of bridged that gap a bit and started pulling away. But even with that, I mean, this goes back to why there should have been like a primetime flight. Maya was in the first flight. Selene was in the second flight. Um, and I believe Maya had to be a little bit conservative on deadlifts because, like, she had just to make sure she got her third deadlift mm-hmm. to make sure she put the pressure on. Because if she missed her third, it was over. Celine was going to win. She had to kind of force Celine to to kind of play her cards, and so she had to do something she knew she could hit. If we had seen Celine and Maya in that same flight, we may have seen something different. But Maya ended up, I think she was like five twenty one dots. Celine took a big jump. Mm-hmm. Um, she went from like 185 to 205 on her second. Same kind of thing I, I talked about with Otto is like, let's just go for the win on the second. Um, Celine went for the win on her second, hit 205, and then eventually got 210 on her third. Um, but I was super, I mean, Celine, obviously she's a fantastic lifter. I know she was disappointed because she didn't do the VA pro and missed out on her pro card there. Um, and just the fact is like, not that, I mean, I, I think Maya, she's probably going to win nationals and get her pro card in 13 weeks. 
Not that Celine won't get top three at nationals. Celine's got a tough road at nationals. Well, she may not get top three there. Is, so I, I'm really happy to see she got her pro card here because if she doesn't get top three at nationals, that would have been a shame that she doesn't have a pro card from that. Is there a tougher route to take than Celine Crum is took in powerlifting? It's like every single meet she's in, she's in this super difficult battle. And I mean, she has triumphs, but also like, it's everything she has done in this sport has been earned so, so well. Like, it is really kind of inspiring because when you look, you know, Collegiate Junior Nationals, big, big day from her there. That was kind of her breakout. Then at Carolina Primetime, she had her and Natalie Richards go head-to-head. You're going against right now who's currently the best female lifter in the USAPL. That's not easy. Then it's like, okay, Celine is obviously a pro lifter. This is something I was echoing on the commentary. A lot of these lifters are pro-level lifters. They just haven't been crowned pros yet. They haven't done nationals yet. These lifters are going to be pros at a point. We saw five or six pros from male and females compete. But the journey to get that pro card has been really difficult for her. It, like, you go Carolina primetime, and then you go to this meet where this was not an easy meet for her. And if you look at the roster, it looked easy. But, no, these lifters really pushed her. Maya Wright, uh, Christian Hazard, um, and Charlie Leonard pushed her to, you know, to, those, to that level. And she had to go nine for nine. She went nine for nine, and she put a little cherry on top of that nine for nine with that pull. Very, very entertaining meet from all those females. And again, just some. I think we because we did the scouting reports on Maya Wright. We knew what she was capable of, but Chrissy Anazard, we were me and Slaughter watching the entire day. Like, where did she come out of? And she went nine for nine too, and went five ten dots. <laughs> Unbelievable. I really enjoyed watching her too. She, we were on the same world platform. <laughs> She's just a hype lifter. She was intense and I loved it. She was just fun to watch. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, we talked about Charlie is probably right in that mix. Um, with the, or Charlie's at 60 kilos. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember now. Yeah. Yeah, Charlie, I just She's going to be at 60 kilos. Yes. Yeah, I just remember having herself a really great day and look and then just missing those two benches that really kind of put her back. Well, I have since the Arnold have now found that Charlie does have a lifting account and Christian has a lifting account. Mm-hmm. So, I know that for the future now of where to check if we need to uh see some of their lifts. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh well, uh Charlie, I mean, if you look at really her progress, um we have in a, a meet in uh, late 20, uh, 2021 uh, where she got 500 even. And I think with this meet, I think the goal, I mean, I think her top end there is about 515, 520 of what she can hit on the platform. Um, so she's she's breaking onto the scene in a big way. Um, and then if you look at Christiane, her last meet prior to the Arnold was a five or was a 450 dots. She boosted that to 510. Have a fucking day, why don't you? Jesus Christ. Oh, that is, that's amazing. I mean, you're just trying to look, uh, I mean, she's coming in a little heavy, uh, perhaps. I mean, no, she's competed at 60. She's, she's competed fluctuated at weight classes a lot. Yeah. That's what I saw. She's, she's been up and down in weight classes a, a decent amount. Um, but yeah, I'm not even going to blame myself. Or you for missing out on that one. I don't think there's any way we would have known she was going to come in and, possibly battle for the win 
Well, yeah, you're here now. We see you. We're following you on Instagram. We're seeing all the things you can do because we're looking at a really, really big-time lifter coming out, and I think out of the Ohio State University. Yep. So, talk another one up for the Buckeyes. Justin Fields isn't the only good thing Ohio State has produced. Well, can we say he's he's good yet? Yes. Have, we, have we been able to? Sure. I'm still on that high, baby. I'm still on that high of drafting. <laughs> but I am one... too. But I am getting scared. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Um, I yeah, I, and 22 years years of age as well. So a, a bright future in the sport. Um, also, we got to check the Raw Nationals roster. I or the Mega Nationals roster. I apologize because I don't want to speak too soon of blisters who are doing the meet. I'm not saying that she's not or confirmed that. A lot of people haven't signed up yet. Yeah, they got it. That I know we're going to eventually sign up. Do it, do it, sign up so we can get these. So we can actually get this research done now because um, it's uh, we're seeing some battles here and we're seeing some breakout performers. I think uh, maybe at the end of the show we can do a list of breakout performers from the Arnold. She is definitely on that list. Uh, I, I'll put Maya right on that as well. I mean, I mean, aside, it's funny. Celine Crumb wouldn't necessarily qualify because I think she was broken out. She broke out a long time ago. But I think all those lifters on the A7 challenge technically break out lifters that got into that top five range. Yeah, for sure. Then breakout, Gage, your boy Gage. Yeah. I wouldn't call it the perfect meet, but. I mean, much, much, much improved over anything he's done before. I mean, squat moved fantastic. Bench didn't seem like it was his uh, best day. It wasn't – okay, I disagree at the last call. I didn't see up and down movement there. I think it was actually a good attempt, and it, it's still a, a lift that's growing for Gage. I mean, he's not – he's a, he's a he's the smallest 82-and-a-half. If we're talking about the top guys in 82-and-a-half, he's the smallest guy. Um, he's, he's walking around to like 175, uh, that gas station food and monster energy drinks, I guess aren't working out for him as far as weight gain goes, but he's, he's smaller and the bench is going to lag behind. I like the calls and I, I'm, I like the execution. I disagree with the call. Now it wasn't a call where I'm like, well, that was blatantly terrible. It, it was a grinder. If you called up and down movement, I guess I can't argue. It was a two red light lift. So really as a coach, I'm not going, or as a handler, or even as a fan, I'm not going to go crazy over the call. I thought he got it. Missed 155. That's a good number for a gauge. Um, apparently his dumbass forgot chalk on his third deadlift, which I'm I'm yeah. debating on whether well, or not that's true or not. <laughs> that was more the – I mean, Bench was only two and a half kilos. He missed out on, like, I think 10 kilos by forgetting to chalk his hands because deadlift looked like it was good. Like, I, I, I thought he had 727, and it was kind of weird they didn't break the floor, but well, yeah, after he said me, he forgot to chalk, makes sense. Yeah, it made me look like a total asshole on the live stream, which maybe that was his goal, to make me look really stupid in my analysis of him because I'm like, get ready, he can grind out a deadlift, and then he just doesn't break the floor. I'm like, all right, thanks, man. You, my commentary looks terrible now. Um, but I uh, yeah, I guess I guess he forgot some chalk there, whatever. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, great performance on the squat. Loved how his squat moved. Uh, makes a big increase in his bench press, which is expected for the increase in weight. And um, I think deadlift is going to be there. He's got the big pull. He's he's got, definitely going to be a force in 82.5. He's got a lot of time to grow into it. I think you're looking at the future in the 82.5 kilo weight class with Gage. 
Um, he looked fantastic. And also, kudos to him. He got away with not wearing a cop tee for all of his squats and wore his stupid lion tiger shirt. Can I rant real quick? What? What? About the tees and people complaining. Oh, people are complaining about that? Yeah. Apparently, some people were complaining that they had to wear the sponsor t-shirt at the A7 Raw Challenge like they've had them do for the last, like, seven years. Yeah. Every year we've done this. And I... honestly, I think it looks great. It looks really uniform. Um, all, it Like, I love it. It shows that you've never done the Arnold before if you're complaining about wearing the A7 comp tee because every single year, mm-hmm. whether it's the SBD Pro-American when they sponsored or the A7 Raw Challenge, there is a t-shirt you have to wear given by the meet. It's every year. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, well, actually, funny thing, I didn't know that even at my last Arnold because I thought that Joe was going to give me a TSA comp tee. And he was like, oh, no, you're just wearing the comp tee that they give you. I'm like, oh. All right, I really wanted to wear that TSA comp tee. He's like, yeah, we, we do that nationals. I didn't know it was a rule that everyone had to wear it. Kind of dumb on my part because I didn't notice everyone else wearing it. So come to this one, I was told by Pete Spence that I have to wear the A7 comp tee. I'm like, oh, I wanted to wear the game day one. And he's like, no, you have to wear it at every Arnold. I'm like, seriously? Like, didn't you wear it the last Arnold? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, how don't you know this? Like, I'm an idiot. I don't know. But I uh, – I, yeah, I, I guess I was surprised twice by that. But I no, I agree. It looks cool and uniform, and also it's it makes sense. A seven is sponsoring the meet, so all of us wearing A seven shirts makes sense. UFC does it no. with Reebok and yeah. all those brands. Like it makes it makes sense, and like I wasn't bummed out. I was just I like wearing my team, but again, everyone is like, yeah, it makes sense. I just want I just want patches. If we can get patches going and put that team uh, put that team patch on top of like the branded comp tee, I'm happy. Well, you don't need to put it. I was actually talking to CB about this. It's the singlet that you should do that too. Yeah, not the shirt. Good point. Singlet. I just uh, singlet. You can so brand hard. whatever singlet you want to. Singlets are hard to do that with. Only because they're just so. They hard. are, but they're you just put on they can be done. Like your crotch. Like what do you? Just put a game day logo just on my just on my sack there. Like I don't know, I don't know where. Well, you could. I mean, NBA style, put it right on the the upper chest, upper right chest. Well, upper right chest would kind of be my like bottom part of my chest if it's a singlet. You know, it depends on the single though. Like, it, yeah, exactly. Some, it's no. a virus singlet. Either way, yeah, we're getting off of on a very uh, actually a compelling conversation about singlet length. But um, <laughs> sure, our, sure, our listeners are piping hot right now. All right, so a non-rant thing. Yeah. We already talked about Devin Williams. Devin Williams totaled 872.5. Yes, he did. That's, I only think, 10 kilos under what David Wilson – now, what David Wilson did at the Virginia Pro. Now, David Wilson, I don't think, had, like, his 100% meet there, but my point is here that, like, Devin's in legitimate contention to maybe podium at Raw Nationals. Like, well, Ashton's the heavy favorite. I think you're then going to have Jake Amendola and David Wilson. And Devin could sneak in there if he progresses. If if not, he is definitely a top five lifter right now, possibly at 110. Yeah, I I think I have some breaking news. I don't think Devin is doing Raw Nationals or Mega Nationals. I I asked him. 
Devin will not place top three at Raw Nationals. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, mean I, I, I hope maybe he can figure some things out and do it. Like, this is maybe just like, hey, you know what? Maybe he said, I mean, it's actually kind of rude to say because, like, it is, uh, you know, people have lives outside of powerlifting, and sometimes we fail to, like, acknowledge that. But, yeah, like, this is kind of th- like he would be in a position to podium, and he had a, himself a great meet. And also, I mean, I think it would be better, too. Like, yeah, I think it's a meet that he can progress on. Uh, I know he missed his uh, two benches. Um, told me he was experiencing some cramping in his lap, and um, uh, Big Body told me the same thing. He was cramping throughout the day, uh, and I mean, a healthy Devin Williams is a dangerous Devin Williams. I love me some Big Dev. Wind it up for him. I think he's. I think he can get there. Um, I mean, young lifter though, twenty three years old. Hopefully, uh, we can see him in a big stage again, and. You know, put together a big, stupid total. I mean, pulling 345 at the end there, benching over five on his opener. It's, uh, he, he's, he's a force. He's a heavy hitter. That's for damn sure. Another, uh, person, opposite end of the spectrum of weight class. <laughs> uh, Waskar Carpio. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Waskar. Um, I'm looking at his numbers. Uh, he might be the favorite to win 60 kilos. I was about to say that, yeah. So it's going to uh, shape up to be a really interesting battle there with those 60 kilo guys. Um, cause you have Shahid Bryant, you have, uh, Mikey Coons, and you have Kurt Navarro there. That is going there. You know what? They're going to start off nationals with a really nice battle there because usually they get, you know, yeah. a little bit lost in the equation. I think, I, I mean, with that performance, eight for eight, and he was really moving solid up through that last deadlift. I I actually expect him to go nine for nine on the day and really get over that five hundred dot score, which would be quite incredible because he only has two meets under his belt, including uh, not including the Arnold. So three meets in total. Yeah, and we haven't seen Shahid in a while, but I believe Waskar totaled twelve and a half kilos over what uh, Shahid did at Ronettes last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean that's gonna. I, I think they're one, two, and I think Mikey and Kurt are three, four. I think, uh, Kurt totaled 1329, um, and, uh, Waskar totaled 1300. But yeah, I mean, he, I mean, um, <clears throat> I didn't know much about him and now I do. I mean, he's probably, we're going to talk about him a lot, um, when we start getting to our nationals preview stuff because he's going to be, uh, definitely in contention there for a national championship. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I was seeing that. I, I mean, it was it was. It's funny when it like you're commentating and it grows on you in the day. Like, oh, this is a sixty kilo lifter and he's having himself one hell of a day. You're and then it's funny to look at and come to the realization that you might be looking at a national champion, and it's even a better realization when that person has three meets under their belt. It's pretty incredible. Young lifter, twenty four years old. Um, and it looks like he fits into that 60 kilo weight class pretty well there. I, uh, I remember meeting him like, okay, 60 kilos. Let's see what you do. And he, he had a really good day. Um, then although crew, uh, I think that whole crew is from Washington. So I even think, uh, Mikhail Lee, uh, he too, I think could actually have, make some big noise in, or make some noise into the 67 and a half kilo weight class. Yeah, yeah, he was, he's, he's a little off of where Brian Lee was, but he's someone I hadn't heard of. I think he totaled around maybe 650, mm-hmm. which again is still fantastic. Um, 
yeah, he, he definitely had a breakout meet and kind of got him on the scene there. Yeah, that little crew there in Washington's got some uh, strong lightweights. They got uh they got they got some pretty they've got some pretty good national contenders there in those lightweight uh divisions um 60 through 75 kilos and yeah very technical lifter that I saw too from him you know uh, relied a lot on that technique so um we'll see how that benefits for him nationals but yeah solid day I mean he missed one one bench press and I think that was on a you know a technical error too so yeah, we have um, we have, I think we have a. I think that was a big breakout. Just that whole crew in Washington there, who was able to uh, have some solid meets. And yeah, like you said at the beginning, I think that was my favorite meet to watch, or even uh, in spite of me not really getting to watch the pro day, the A seven raw challenge was definitely the highlight for my weekend. I think for a lot of lifters too, because we saw some great things. Uh, I mean. I mean, we did mention the big day from Uthong Pros, but I guess he was overlooked going into our predictions. I had Gage to win, and Uthong was the 82-and-a-half that really kind of came on there and had a fantastic day. Um, yeah, and our, also our predictions. I guess we could flip-flop our predictions here and there. We, I had Celine winning. You had uh, Jimmy winning. So, Yeah. Also, I guess you win with me not putting myself in the top five on the pro side. <laughs> That really hurt me. Yeah, but I think you had I think you had me on the women's side for the Grand Prix and the Pro Raw. I think you were more accurate there. Hell yeah. I don't know. Ooh, it, it was it was an interesting. Who would have thought there, there was Angela would we, predict the female lifters correctly? Usually not my forte. <laughs> so last meet that I think we'll cover is the Pro Deadlift. Yeah, and you can let me know. Is it just me? Or was the pro deadlift way more interesting because everyone went raw? I usually don't care about the pro deadlift because half the people are raw, half the people are equipped. Most of the people who are raw are actually stronger, but because they're not going equipped, they're not going to win because it's just, it, there's no there's no difference. It's if you it's just heaviest weight lifted. Yeah. The fact that everyone went raw was way more enjoyable for me, uh, and we had. A true battle between Dan Howell and Eric LaPointe came down to that third attempt, and Dan Howell pulled 761 for the win. Um, we had Jordan Pantone, who I thought would have gone single ply because she's she's done that in the past, but I asked her, and she said that just throws off her technique too much, and she didn't want that to interrupt her training leading into to Raw Nationals. She deadlifted, I think, 513. Am I right on that? Um, 233 and a half. Uh, yeah, 513.6. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to rant about equipped here after this as well. Um, yeah. but I, I don't, you can let me know your opinion. Well, I just like the meat more because it was all raw. I, it was oh. more entertaining to me because we didn't have this weird mix of single ply and raw competing in the same thing with no distinction. Well, I didn't get to watch the pro deadlift and actually I've never watched a pro deadlift. Um, I, Again, like, I think the pro deadlift when I was competing in 2020 was, like, right before my lift. So I didn't get to watch it then. And then, I mean, in 2019, I obviously didn't see it. So I don't have much to go off of. And this meet, it was happening exactly the same time as me commentating the A7 Raw Challenge. So I didn't get to see, like, any of it. Um, I think it would just be more entertaining through the people who are competing. Jordan Pantone is, I mean, he was the best deadlifter there just based on dots male and female, um, and I think that she is probably the I, – one of the premier deadlifters in the world. Um, Mr. Dan Howell, 
teammate, a team game day. He had himself a fantastic deadlift there at a uh, seven seven sixty one. Uh, I mean, all these guys are like just like pulling legends, right? Uh, Eric Lapointe, like he's known for the deadlift, a beautiful deadlift. Um, and deadlifted the day before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the meat to do it at, right? You 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 could you could compete the day before and then have fun and try to pull something the next day. Like it actually works in in that sense. So I think it was inter- entertaining in that sense. And I mean, and the great thing is you can easily rewatch the meet, right? Also, this is deadlifts. Um, I'm not a big single lift guy. You can't rewatch that one. Oh no, not the live stream. I'm talking about through Instagram replay. Okay. Yeah, like I watch all yes, the deadlifts. Yes, yes. So and they and you can get a better view of it too because it's not as like congested as the Grand Prix. So like all the deadlifts I saw, I saw clearly. It was like a very good angle of their deadlifts. Like I, I, I rewatched the meet. I saw everyone's deadlift that I wanted to watch. And it they were all great. They all did fantastic. Um I, I'm just I'm always like as long as you're treating the pro deadlift as what it is, just a fun thing to do and wins you know, maybe win some money and just have fun being at the Arnold and competing, but like I mean, I'm gonna pick on uh Avenir here. Calling it like the record if he pulled seven seventy two you got to do full power if you want to call it the record. Tell you that right now. Uh, your record, if you pull only 772 on the day that you're only deadlifting, doesn't count in my book. You can have the single lift record all you want, but that single lift record was also set in a full power meet by yours truly. So I don't, I don't like. Oh well, yeah, I broke the record. Like no, you didn't. <laughs> squat before that and tell me how it goes. It goes for you. And try to squat a lot too. It's not that easy. You go and try to pull 771 afterwards. And I think all the lifters there didn't necessarily do that. So, yeah. Awkward silence. So you got any thoughts on that or what? Well, I mean, he really can't call it the record because he definitely deadlifted 722 on a stiff bar. Well, exactly. His, his record his I, record was on a deadlift bar. Yeah, I saw the thing. Well, I saw the the... The caption, like I went for the 772 record. I'm like, dude, you got to do that a full. Power oh, I didn't, meet. I didn't see, I, saw, I didn't see that. I mean, of course, but... it's sent to me, but I'm like, you got to do it a full power meet. Like, no, it does not count if it's a dead. If you took this single deadlift record only, that single deadlift record was set in a full power meet. Like that's, come on, dude. Like, like it's not like don't come claim more records when he just showed up to the day and deadlifted five times. Like you had to hit, I, you, I had to hit it's like. A shit ton of lifts prior to that deadlift, but that's my—I guess—that's my cocky, arrogant rant of deadlift records that I see, and I just—I hate—I—I I just don't like. I, it depends, I guess, how you approach your records, you know. Like if Nick Manders breaks my record, of course, or breaks me and two other guys' records because it's all tied. Of course, Nick Manders well, competes. Not only has to not only has to be at a full power meet, you have to try the entire meet because yeah. there are some people yeah. that take ridiculously token lifts just to go break a deadlift record at the end in the full power. Yeah, my my opinion, you could fucking have the record if that's the case. But Nick, no, he tries. Ina, he tries. I gotta check what the other guy does though, because his his squat is awfully low. But <laughs> uh, yeah, his squat's really low. But uh, I don't know. It's a deadlift specialist thing because. I think there's no, like, surprise that deadlift specialist squats at a point are, like, bad. 
And then once they get better at squat, their deadlift starts to stagnate a little bit. It's like, you know, the, that whole fatigue thing kind of does add uh, some things to it. Yep. But um, I guess that did it for the Arnold uh, as far as just the competition goes. But logistically and look-wise, what do you want to see from it, Steve, next year? So I will say in the C-Pod, the live stream was the best it's ever been. Yeah, camera I, angles. The camera angles were, were biased. Fantastic. Commentary was pretty good. Commentary was camera amazing. angles were. It was incredible. Uh, camera angles was the best it's ever been at the Arnold. Yeah, the live stream was fantastic. Yeah, only thing, my small critique for the live stream because the camera angles were superb. If you can continue that, you're there. Or if you could just make it a little more high, you know. If, I mean, obviously, little improvements along the way. The overlay, that overlay. I want to see it actually if there's a way to change the camera angles, but then one static camera has the overlay where it's clear to see the weight on the bar and also the overlay. It's very similar to wrong. I mean, all really all means. So Virginia Pro had it. Um, Nationals had it. I think all you got to do is move the camera out, and you have that. Because when we saw the attempt selections occasionally that blocked the bar, and I, I would prefer to see the entire meet with just the overlay kind of, like, away from all that. So I think that's the only small critique I have. But you, like you said, the camera angles were amazing the entire time. Yep. But the caveat there was in the C-Pod. In the C-Pod, yes. The anything on the Rogue stage was awful. And that had nothing to do with USAPL. It had to do with the fact that the Arnold live stream was garbage. It was a singular angle. It had no commentary, and it was just terrible. And I, I'm going to throw out a hot take. Um, I really think that the grand finale next year for the Pro Series has to be in the C-Pod. Because I do understand, and you can talk to this, the Grand Prix on that Rogue stage is amazing for the lifters. For the lifters, the atmosphere of it's fantastic. But I spectated that, and it was horrible. Mm-hmm. I not not only the live stream was terrible. Spectating it, I had no idea what weights you were lifting. I had no idea the placing. Lifting cast doesn't work because they can't get good internet in there. Um, I had no idea what was going on. And if you're putting in the supposed world championship or champion of champions pro series finale, where the best of the best are trying to go head to head, lift to lift, and the spectators have no idea what weights are on the bar barring they're sitting there with a a calculator and trying to figure out kilos that can't happen. Mm -hmm. That would be, that would be a huge letdown for our series finale to have that type of production. Yeah. And again, that's like, it's, it's a shame because it does have everything else, but for the spectators, you want this to be a spectator friendly meet. You cannot have, the a sporting event that's supposed to be your championship that the spectators cannot follow. They can't understand what's happening. Hell, they can't even see it a lot. It's just the unfortunate thing, and yes, you are absolutely correct. Competing on the Grand Prix stage and the Rogue stage was incredible. That was that was better than the Virginia Pro. It was, I mean, it, it's funny because you don't remember a lot of it. You remember very small, like, just glimpses of what you saw. But I just remember looking onto the sea of people and being like, this is this is amazing, and this is incredible to compete on, and it's incredible it's just a small meet. Even though it's a fast meet, it's small, but 
I just naturally assumed because I'm used to USAPL meets, everyone following along, lifting cash being there, the big LED screens, that everyone else could view the meet and everyone else can see the meet. I obviously wasn't speaking out of experience. I was speaking out of assumption. I was looking at um, – I, w- I had lifting cast working great back there because we all always do. I just assumed all you guys did, and that wasn't the case. Like when you told me afterwards that you had no idea what was going on, I'm like, well, that sucks. <laughs> like that was that was some compelling things I guess you missed out on because, yeah, we, we, we tried to pull for the win. If we, like, If you just see me like react – to pulling for the win, and you're not completely sure that I pulled for the win, you'd be like, uh, okay, he's happy. He has every right to be, but you don't know exactly why I'm happy. And the the only people that gave us any information was Gino, but Gino didn't know either. Yeah, it's hard for him. He, to he didn't know he you're pulling. Go, yeah, he has to constantly go back and forth. And it's not his fault. I mean, if they could fix it and they could get a big screen on the stage that shows everything – they could get lifting cast working, and USAPL controls the live stream, not the Arnold. I'd be okay with it. Yeah. But assuming they can't, because I don't think that can change, because the Arnold controls all that, the Pro Series finale needs to be in the C-Pod, simply because, yes, there are people spectating in person, but our goal is to get fifty to 100,000 people watching a live stream, mm-hmm. which the the broad reach of that, in reality, is way more important than the... Couple hundred people watching in person. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. The live stream is always going to be important. CPod, you can set up, you know, a consistently good live stream. I do think that if you get the LED screens, you get the big screen, if you get everything else that we're used to in the grant, uh, in the stage, I think the viewability of that is fantastic. But I don't think that's even possible because, dude, when they asked me, like a lot of people were asking, like, "Hey, where can I find a live stream?" I didn't want to tell them. You know, or I felt weird telling them like it's a thirty-five dollar pay-per-view, and I had and, and that wasn't worth thirty-five dollars. Well, like the VA Pro, yeah. I think looking back, that was worth like the fifteen dollars. It was not worth the money to pay for the Arnold one to get a singular view that you had no idea the weights people yeah, were lifting. And also, and also, like the the quality of it was definitely the uh, the quality of it was definitely the uh, like the other live streams that you got with. Purchasing that pay-per-view package. So the bodybuilding, the strongman, um, the slap fighting, I mean, yeah, like all that stuff was like the quality live stream that people, I mean, you got in that package, but again, if you're a powerlifting fan, like some of that stuff doesn't interest you. I, I, and again, it's to no fault of the USAPL. Like the USAPL didn't do that. They didn't control that. Um, that's just kind of what you have to do when you have the Arnold Sports Festival. It's unfortunate, but it kind of has to happen. Um, and yeah, if they could change that, that'll be great. If the C-Pod is a better venue for it, do it. Have the C-Pod be that venue. Um, I still think you can get like the crowd that you can see for the C-Pod and seeing that big sea of people, um, have those legendary moments like we saw with Ray Williams in the C-Pod. That's still great too. Like that added yeah. production value to everything. The, I mean, the big, the biggest crowd I've ever seen at the Arnold was when Ray squatted in the C pod. And the fact of the matter is, is pretty much everyone has to walk past the C pod to get into the expo. So it's not like there's not traffic there. Um, yeah, I, I think that's vital. I, I, I don't love that that needs to be the case because I love the idea of the Grand Prix and being out in the expo. But assuming they can't fix those things, I, I think that's not even like something that can be discussed for the finale. Like it has to be somewhere where there can be a live stream. 
there can be video displays and and make spectating something because it has to it has to be it they would be I do still think the main stage and the rogue stage is something that should be kept in within the Arnold because, like I said, the experience of a lifter competing at that is fantastic. So there are other events that happen at the Arnold that aren't the Grand Prix or the finale of the Pro Series, which I think is going to be called the Grand Prix. I actually would like it to be called the Grand Prix. I think it's a cool name. The Actually, the Uber driver that um, – Drove me to the Grand Prix. Thought it was an amazing name too. She's like, "Ooh, the Grand Prix sounds so important." I'm like, "It is. It is important. That's the point." So <laughs> I, uh, so I think like the Pro American or even the A7 Challenge. Like I, I don't know. Like, so the issue, I- the issue is it has to be a smaller meet. Good point. Yeah, it would have to be a really small meet. You're right. My bad. It could be something like the. Well, I mean, let's get into this. Stop privileging equipped lifting. Uh oh. It has to stop. Uh-oh. The payouts should not be the same. I could go. I could go on for an hour about this, so I'm not going to do every detail. But there is no reason the payout should have been the same as raw lifters. There's no reason they should be mixed in with the same warm ups and the same flights. Um, I know for a fact I heard that was an issue um, because the fa- it's two different sports. Like you can't be warming up together. The 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 timing of stuff is different. It there was nine competitors. For pro equipped, there were something like 30 to 40 pro raw, and yet somehow the payouts were the same, and somehow they get, I don't know. It's got to stop privileging it. And here's my idea is let them have the Grand Prix stage. Yeah. Let, let the equipped finale be on the stage and let the raw finale be in the C pod, and maybe that makes everyone happy. I, I agree, and, like, with this whole thing, I mean, you know what would be funny if I just went on a pro single-ply rant right now and just tried to make you, like, the... You can't do it, though. Yeah, you literally couldn't no, do it no, without laughing. Yeah, no, I couldn't. Um, I mean, I'll only be I'll only be pleasing, like, the six single-ply lifters who listen to that, too. Like, because that was something, too, trying to watch the Grand Prix. right now. Trying to watch the Grand Prix was confusing, too, because it kept going back and forth between equipped versus raw, the pro raw was all messed up because they put amateur equipped people in it. Like they got to stop. I mean, there would be no equipped lifting at the Arnold if there wasn't raw open lifting because we wouldn't be there. Yeah. Like if raw open you're, didn't exist, no, there's no bench only meets at the Arnold. There's no deadlift meets. There's no, they're all gone. Yeah. You're, they're only there because raw opens there. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. I just know it's a difficult position in the USA to USAPL to be in because so many of them started with single ply lifting. And I think it is just a, it, it's almost like like this is a lot of the lifters who started the federation or in the federation for a long time, and it's like making that decision that kind of like almost it wipes them out of viewer, viewership, which I know is naturally happening. That is naturally happening. People are not interested in watching single-ply powerlifting right now. They aren't. All the big things that are seen from the USAPL right now and raw. USPA and, and WRPF. I mean, Raw with Raps is dying too. Yeah, Raw with Raps is is kind of a dying breed right now. We have for all lifters who are getting up to Raw with Raps, and once that happens, it's dead. People are not. People are going to find Raw or Raw with Raps even, and that's like that used to be Raw as weird and funny. I I do enjoy I watching single ply lifting. I actually don't mind it. I think the bench presses and the squats, there's something to be said about that. 
And I, I don't mind it as a thing, but we have to start looking at viewership here. We have to start looking at what's getting people in and what's making money. Raw's making money. And it, it is making things difficult when it, it's combined like that. It, it is from a, I mean, even in my sense, the Grand Prix, it did make things a little bit difficult. And you're right, it's two different sports. We're not doing the same thing. It's it's not it's not the same. Now, thing. I'm not, and I'm not saying get rid of equipment lifting. I'm saying stop privileging it because when it's put in the same exact every, it's tried to be like forced into raw to be on the same platform. That's privileging it because it doesn't have the same uh, doesn't oh. have the same number of people competing. It doesn't have the same quality of lifting. We don't have the same deep talent pool. Let them be equal in the sense of they get what their talent pool and their population deserves in the sense versus raw. Don't privilege them by giving them the same exact thing the top raw lifters are getting when the fact is, like, I mean, Ashton probably, if if he tried, he could have gone over and done the equip meet and won it too. Wait, hold on. If we're looking at all the pro meets too, is that, like, all – because Ben Thompson won pro bench. That was raw, correct? And yes, I don't even know if they had single ply. Did Tank Amendola win pro bench? Yeah. And then Jordan Pantone and, and Dan Howell win pro deadlift. Well, so it's like all one, these things are all raw. Yes. All and one of the reasons is a lot of the equipped people, frankly, are probably going to go to PA and IPF because in the U.S., raw is unbelievably competitive. To where you can make an argument that going overseas and competing internationally doesn't give you any extra benefit. That is not the case with equipped. Equipped lifting at the highest level is at the world level stage, and there is zero debate about that. If if you're asking me which side I'm taking in the sense of IPF versus USAPL when it comes to equipped, I am saying IPF all day, every day, because it is so much more competitive than the USAPL is. It's not even comparable. Um, most of the top USAPL equip lifters are, are winning their classes by 100 plus kilos and then can't win worlds. Yeah. Um, so we're probably going to lose most of our equip lifters. And it, it, it's, and so if we keep catering towards them and we keep losing even more of them, it just gets worse and worse how much they're being privileged. And that has to stop. Like, Think if think if we could have twenty thousand dollar payouts for raw, raw lifters at the Arnold. Mm-hmm. That starts to be a money amount where there isn't anyone that can say money doesn't matter. Five thousand, someone can say, oh, that's a cool paycheck, but that's not like super like yeah. motivating. Like, so, eh, I, I I don't need. I, it's cool, but I don't need it. Once you start getting to twenty or thirty thousand dollars, I don't think there's anyone in the USAPL that could say I couldn't use that money. And then if it can be twenty for first, eight for second five for third and we can start getting payouts going down versus giving equipped five thousand dollar first place prizes when there's every single equipped pro got paid not every equipped raw lifter got paid every equipped lifter got paid at this meet which is ridiculous that money needs to be distributed wisely because if you can start paying out first through fifth place in raw with legitimate payouts no one anymore is going to say money doesn't motivate them all of a sudden that's going to be flipped and be like oh yep okay yep Money, but money's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, you still get some people who like to spew bullshit out of their mouths, but yeah, I agree. You know, that's a completely different. That's a completely competition. That's a completely different competition for me, and also it might drive more people to do the Arnold, regardless of it being thirteen weeks out from each other, right? From Arnold to Nationals, I actually think you could keep it then. I actually think you can make Nationals the grand finale of uh, the whole uh, Pro Series thing, and have the Arnold be the filler of the playoffs for it, like. 
if you start throwing twenty thousand dollars in people's faces, yeah, it's it's a it's a huge payout, and I think that'll actually add more spectators. You know what my goal is? To hear the same roar of crowd for powerlifting as Strongman did behind us. That was ridiculous. What I saw at Strongman, and you know, we got to start making these smart business decisions to get to that level. We have to be mainstream in strength sports before we get mainstream in regular sports. Right now, we're yep. not quite there. I saw that crowd at the Strongman. That was that was ridiculous. And there's two things I think that could help get us there. Well, three things. One, stop privileging equipped lifting and giving them the same cash payouts as Raw when they're bringing in, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but it's got to be something like one-tenth of the number of lifters, if not even less than that. One, I think this is already happening, but the calendar has to change with Nationals going back to October with the current setup because yeah. it limits the ability for people to do the Arnold. It's just, it, it especially if it's the finale, like that's always going to be tough because it doesn't make you want to win nationals and nationals is the main meet you need to get to the finale, but then the finale is just 13 weeks before nationals. So no, if, yeah. if nationals goes to October next year, like I, I believe it's supposed to, that fixes it and that's awesome. Yeah. But within that too, the pro series cannot be this seven meets a year thing like they've got currently. Because then guess how many meets you have to distribute money to? You have to distribute to seven. It, right now it should just be the Arnold Nationals and VA Pro. There's only three pro meets and allow those to be huge cash payouts, make them exclusive so everyone knows they need to do them um, and they can't just be dropping out all the time. And then you're going to have a way better product all around. So mm-hmm. I 100% agree with you there. I think those are good ideas. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think the sport still is in its progression stages. I say that a lot on Two White Lights. They were at the uh, initial parts of powerlifting, and I think we have to start making these decisions based on how to grow the sport and get more people under the bar. Because right now, we can all agree, raw powerlifting is getting people under a barbell. That's what good raw powerlifting is doing for the sport. More people under a barbell is better. Yep. And if any equipped people are listening to this and they're getting really pissed off, make sure to go listen to our IG live because I explain the business sense of how prioritizing raw will actually help equip in the long run. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. <clears throat> last thing I'll throw out. I don't know if did you did you realize while you were commentating that there were some people in the A7 challenge that there was a big question mark of how they were in the A7 challenge? Yeah. Um, I think USAPL forgot to audit the A7 challenge. Oh. Okay. Because they did, I don't think they checked dot scores. Because there was someone with like a 200 something dot score and yeah. someone with like a 330 yeah. dot score in the A7 yeah. challenge. Yeah, yeah, I saw. I don't know. We were gonna have to figure that one out later because I was like, I, I can't commentate on that. That would be rude and mean to potentially someone's family who's listening. But. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't something for the live stream, but I'm going to say it now is USAPL. Don't forget to audit your meets. Yeah. 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 Uh, definitely do that. That'll, you know, kind of, uh, help some things out. Um, I think we're actually bearing, I mean, it's almost two hours in the episode and I didn't mention I met John Gruden and it was single handedly the greatest experience of my life. I, I actually like three or four times. I keep meaning to bring that up, and then we got sidetracked. And I didn't say it, but yes, I explain sure. the story because you're you're literally as you're you're saying that your your eyes are twinkling already. Again. Yeah, 
because I keep on. I still it feels like it, it didn't happen, but I was walking out to get drug tested, and you know the the the, the expo is pretty dead, so you know you don't. I mean, there's a whole, not a whole lot of people there, and then I'm walking, and then I look to my left, and Coach Gruden is looking at me, and I caught eyes with him, and I just kept on staring at him, and he kept on staring at me, and I'm like, oh my, and I was like, is that him? And then I kept looking, like, yeah, that's him, and he's just like, hey man, great lifting today out there. Have that hip heal up too, brother. And I was like, uh, it, yeah, 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 Mr. Gruden, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Like, it was real great watching you, man. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And then I was, like, kind of geeking out, but then I was with my girlfriend, too, and I'm like, I, I think I got to go take a picture with him. Like, this is the time. And then I asked the drug testing guy if it was okay for me to take a picture with him, and he's like, yeah, I'm taking a picture with him as well. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, yeah, it's totally okay. We're both doing that right now. So I went to go and take a picture with him. He was very nice and said yes. And he said something I'll never forget. He uh, asked where I'm from. He's like, where are you, where are you from, man? I'm like, uh, sh- Chicago. He's like, oh, man, you know, you look like Sylvester Stallone. And fucking smile on my face lasted for about 45 minutes. He really could have said anything to me, and I would have smiled, but that I would just never forget. That was the only thing John Gruden said to me, or Coach Gruden said to me was, you look like Sylvester Stallone. He said great lifting, and it was entertaining to watch you. It was very fun. That completely was washed away by him saying I look like Sylvester Stallone because it was like watching a Monday night football game and him just commenting on something that he sees, like, doesn't that guy look like Sylvester Stallone out there? And and the kid's like, yeah, yeah, he certainly does, John. Like, yeah, I like that guy. It's a good, a good movie. And that was was going in my head. I'm like, this is the guy I watch, you know, my entire childhood. Watch him win a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. One of the best Monday Night fo- Football commentators of all time. He's up there. I loved him on the bo- in the booth, and yeah, it was just fucking sweet, man. I don't know how else is, I don't know how else to describe it. Just being so awesome. It was crazy seeing him too, because like as I'm as I'm spectating. I see this just happy dad filming his son and it's just, it's John Gruden. And it's like, it, it didn't seem, it, it was John Gruden and it you knew it, but at the same time, it just looked like a happy dad wanting to see his son do well. And it was just, it was just kind of surreal. Like, I mean, I've been in the arm a lot. Like, I don't think there's really anyone that like, wow, like I get starstruck for anymore at like the fitness industry, but seeing John Gruden there just filming his son mm-hmm. in like his competition was like, I could have just stared at him, and that was probably the better spectating spectacle than the actual Grand Prix was. Yeah, I, I, it was, yeah, like you described it surreal. Like, I never, I haven't really been starstruck in my life, but that was like one of them where I was kind of, I was caught way off guard. I didn't know he was there at all. I didn't obviously see him in the crowd. I couldn't see, and no one said anything that he was there. I didn't, I apparently, Gino was like, I'm seeing it. Like, yeah, he's here, and like, you know, doing his all Gino thing. I I didn't know he was there until that very moment where I saw him, <laughs> and he actually initiated the conversation with me. And then he, when he said, "I hope that hit feels better," like, does he listen to Two White Lights? How did he know? <laughs> and then now I'm just gonna think that he listens to Two White Lights, and I can fall asleep better at night because he just said that. I'm like, uh, maybe his son told him something. I, I don't know. Maybe John, like maybe Deuce told him. 
because me and him talked about it, but I just thought that was cool as hell. And I'll, uh, yeah, not forget that moment. I never, I always said I'm a guy, like, I don't know if I could ever be starstruck. I think if I'm prepared for it, I won't be starstruck. I did not expect to, to, uh, to have John Gruden say I look like Sylvester Stallone. Hand up. Didn't think that'll happen. And that well, was, uh, that needs to be your next pro me costume. Rocky? I don't know how you dress like Rocky. <laughs> That's a hard one. If it's Vegas, I got to dress like uh, Robert De Niro. Go Rambo, then. That was my nickname when I worked construction. I had long hair, and I wore a Dago T to work and a red headband once. And they kept on calling – a bunch of Polish guys kept on calling me Rambo. To a point where I they did not know my name was Angelo. They kept they called me John for an entire construction year that I worked. My name was John Rambo. They're like, where's Angelo at? And they're like, who the hell is Angelo? They're like, fucking Rambo. Where's Rambo? And they're like, oh, he's on the ceiling. <laughs> so that'll be an appropriate costume. And they're not costumes, Steve. They're outfits. They're fits. Uniforms. Fits. They're not Got uniform. it. They're not uniforms. How is that a uniform? <laughs> I don't it's know. It's not a uniform, man. You're Yeah, you're COVID-brained. We've been two hours. It's fun that we scheduled a two-hour uh, recap when you have COVID. Yeah, appreciate that. You're welcome. All right. So. If, if people can see me right now, my whole face is like, I'm pretty sure you can see it too. My whole face is like red because my nose is so stuffed up and runny and you're, just you're a miserable. We said podcasting's easy. This is actually harder than competing in powerlifting is uh, doing a two-hour yeah. show on COVID. But uh, that'll do it for this episode of Two White Lights. We have some really exciting things coming in the upcoming weeks. Um we are going to have an episode on collegiate powerlifting that we've been looking forward to for a really long time. I'm excited for that. Also, we just have collegiate nationals coming up in general. Me and Steve Denobi will be commentating some of the later week actions. I'll actually be there commentating teen and collegiate nationals for the entire week. So get excited for that, ladies and gentlemen, because I'll be there in beautiful Lombard, Illinois. I'm very excited to go back home again for eight days and commentate some some of the young guns in powerlifting. Yep. Excited for that. Um, yeah, we're not doing a, for people hoping for it, we're not doing a collegiate nationals preview show. Uh, I don't Just, think we can do 956 lifters. No. Uh, that's too hard. But we're having Brad Beckel, who's from McKendree Powerlifting. He's the head coach, and we're going to do like a general state of collegiate powerlifting episode because there's some there's some things that, I think could be improved overall because there's some, there's some issues with China generally how collegiate powerlifting is, is ran for the most part. Yeah. And, and I think uh, what you told me about that, that's shaping up to be a really interesting conversation. If you were a collegiate powerlifter, I know all the powerlifting fans will be listening to it, but if you're a collegiate powerlifter, tell your friends about it, you know, tell people who are getting into collegiate powerlifting to listen to that podcast. I actually think some real good information is going to be listed and a really good conversation is going to be had there. I'm, I think of all the episodes I'm looking forward to, that one is is up there. I'm just I'm excited to talk about that because I think collegiate powerlifting is the future of this sport. I think getting it popular will motivate people in the teen divisions to take powerlifting more seriously and actually pursue powerlifting as a you know a, a sport, a competitive sport that you can get into in high school, go into college, do it, and do it into the open years as well. So. That's going to be a fantastic episode. After that, we're actually commentating the game day barbell meet as well. That's going on the same time as Powerlifting America. So that's going to be a crazy weekend in Powerlifting for us at least. 
Uh, we have a lot of stuff going on in Two White Lights. The Arnold almost killed us, literally, Steve, and figuratively, me. But uh, we are going to have a lot of content coming in these next five or six weeks. And then five or six weeks later, that leads us halfway to Nationals. So Two White Lights going to be busy, and we're excited for it. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.